Guys, I'm sick and tired of all these paths that aren't open. I'm going to open this one, and I'm going to do it without going to the other side first. Uh, are you sure about that? I think we all know that trees can't just move more, more than one direction. Well, neither do rocks. I mean, those things just don't move in more than one direction. It's completely impossible. Well, whatever. Here's some dynamite, some liquid nitrogen, a tube of plastic, and a complete B-52 Bombay. Go for it! <laughs> With all that power, there's no way it can... Wait, wait, what the hell? How is it still standing? I want to ram my head into this thing, but it still won't break it. I guess we have to take the long way after all. Ugh. Hey, Paisanos, it's the Backtrack Brothers Super Show! We're the Backtrack Brothers, and old school our games. We're not like the others. You get all the faith. If your backlog's in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. You're hooked on the brothers. Treats so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from our pieces of week. Up consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. That's right, this is the one, the only RPG Backtrack, episode 196. Map it out, I am Phil Willis, and this is the one and only Mr. Mike Minky. I am here. I am... Trying to come up with something that rhymes with here and is not an expected rhyme, and it's failing me. That must mean I've had too long a day, so let's just start talking about dungeon crawls, I think. You must like Ooh. beer. Uh, well, don't worry. We, we, you know, you might be a little tired, but we got two people to help you out. First of all, we have New Guy. Hey, I'm still new, and I'm still here, so. What is your name? Matt? Rat? Cat? <laughs> Sat? Matt Rat. Matt Rat. Got it, Matt Rat. So Matt Rat, we have Matt Rat on here, and then we and then we also have not new girl. Yay! I'm not the new person for once. Melly Kyan. Eh, close enough. Yay! I do you have an M in your name. This this is news to me. You know what? No. Pe- <laughs> uh, you know people have accused me of getting lost when it comes to names. I don't know where that accusation comes from. But today we're going to talk about getting lost in mazes because we got a number of Etrian Odyssey games to talk about. Uh, and you're saying, Phil, we've talked about Etrian before. Oh, no, no. This is the untold story of Etrian Odyssey. That's what we're talking about today. We're also, I also have a formal apology to make. Uh, after we posted the last podcast, a few days afterwards, somebody on Twitter hit me up and said, hey, he heard some typing sounds which is one of my pet peeves. I go back and I listened to it, and to my horror, it was loud typing sounds, and it was me. 
and and it baffled me for a while because I'm very very careful about putting my mic on mute if I'm going to type, especially since my mic is right next to my keyboard and I have one of those really clickety clickety keyboards. And so I fa- I figured out what it was. I had muted myself in Discord, which doesn't stop the recording program I'm using from picking up sounds from my personal microphone. It just makes it to where. The other people can't hear. So that's why I was wondering to myself, if I was making so much noise, why didn't Mike or somebody say something to me? Now I know why. You guys couldn't hear. You know, you guys. You, ah. you, you guys couldn't hear. But those guys in the audience yeah. could hear on the recording. And and there was so much typing, there was no way for me to take that out with any sort of audio editing without deleting entire sections. So my apologies. I've learned a lesson. It's Discord's kind of new to us. And I never had those problems. If I, if I muted in Skype... Because the program I use is primarily is designed for Skype. Uh, I never had something come through like that. So uh, I, I've definitely learned a lesson. So my apologies. I want to start it right off of that. It was very rude of me. And uh, we'll make corrections going forward. I hope somebody was fired for that blunder. I actually reduced my pay. I took a cut in pay uh, just to teach oh, myself a lesson. I'm here tonight. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm sorry you had to do that, Phil. <laughs> but sometimes these lessons have to be learned the they, hard way. They do. They do. And I'm a... Uh, Man enough to admit that I make a mistake once in a while. Now, I don't do that with names. I think everyone else is just crazy when they accuse me of that garbage. But, anywho. Uh, but, but, but you know what's not a mistake? Is Etrian Odyssey games. They're awesome. They're fun. They're a blast. They also got a few wrinkles that we want to talk about. And we got like two or three of them to talk about tonight. So, we're going to let you listen to some really cool EO music. And we also have, uh, we have, oops. Well, see, I just said I wasn't going to make weird noise, and there's my cell phone that I did forget to put on mute. Uh, going to have to cut my pay again. We're also going to do. Was that your text message notification? Uh, I think that was a Slack notification. Uh, we're just going to turn that guy off there. My apologies. We're also going to digest really on our... This is a high production, high value production. <laughs> Only the most professional recording rules and everything else. We're also got a, an RPG backtrack sidetrack. We're going to talk about Curse of the Azure Bonds. And we're going to wrap it up with a really cool final lap as we are now only a few shows away. We're only, what, four or five shows away from the mighty two zero zero, Mr. Miki. I am stoked. Three more three more after this. Three more after this. Woo! Woo doggity. The countdown begins. I already begins. know what the, what the one after this is going to be. That's rare nowadays. So this is T-minus four right here. T-minus four, yep. boys and girls, for the big two o o. Uh, anywho, so sit back, hold on tight, but we'll be right back. Turned to discuss Etrian Odyssey Untold the Millennium Girl, as well as a few others. Uh, Etrian Odyssey Untold the Millennium Girl 
It was developed and published by Atlas uh, in uh, Europe. It was IS America that published that bad boy. Released in North America on October 1st, 2013. This is a, a DRPG handheld experience for your Nintendo 3DS. And it is, in all fact, a single-player experience. Uh, boy, lots to talk about here. Of course, we, we've talked about Etrian Odysseys before. We've talked about Etrian Odyssey, the first game. Uh, before being that it's a dungeon crawler, but this is kind of like a remake, right? Yeah, basically a reimagining from the ground up using the new engine that was introduced in EO4. And it's kind of fascinating because, you know, the, the Etrian Odyssey games on the DS were a little bit on the obscure side. And I think when um, EO4 came out, it kind of hit a huge boost in sales because I EO4 came out when the 3DS was still kind of new. I think it was like year two that it was out. And because of it, they went back and wanted to remake those obscure DS games. And that's how we got this one. Well, why don't we go ahead and and kick this off uh, and let you all talk about the story. And I mentioned this before the recording. I'm going to step away let you all talk about the story. We're about to wrap it up. Do me a favor and say something on Discord. You know, type something in the chat there, and I'll come back. Uh, but I want our audience, because this is a spoilerific podcast, who do want to hear about the story. I want you to dive into all the juicy details. So, since you're not the new girl, I trust you to do that without my leading you on. Go for it. Right. Well, with, I with mean, new guys' help, of course, if he wants to help. Yeah, the the story was pretty bare bones in the original, and in this one, they really expanded upon it. And um, the the other thing too is that the story mode is is kind of new for the series because it, it still has the classic mode like the other ones do. But then you had the ability to play. Was it called adventure mode? I can't remember. I'm trying to look that up right now. Yeah, it was um, like I, it it on the uh, wiki. It does say plot for the story mode. So yeah. But that could just be a generic thing that they put there. I yeah, I can't remember if they called it adventure mode, but yeah, you you could play with your name, your faceless minions like you always could. But then you could do the adventure mode if you'd already played through the original and want a completely new experience out of it. Um, it starts as a Highlander arrives in the town of Etria, who is greeted by other adventurers while entering the town. And it is revealed that a group of Highlanders have been requested to help investigate the mystery of the Yggdrasil Labyrinth. And the leader of the tribe has decided to give you, the player character, the mission of solving Etria's uh, mysteries. So you you make it to Etria, and your first mission is to master cartography, which is something that all explorers have to do in Etria. And you're accompanied by a duo named Ren and, I'm going to butcher this name, Tick. Tichaga? I can't I cannot pronounce that. I'm just gonna call her the Ronin and the Hexer. And you go on your first mission to map out the first section of the labyrinth, and then after it, um you have a you experience an earthquake. And when you head back to report the details, the to do a leave and you're now allowed to explore the labyrinth. And after that, you're sent to the Gladsheim area to investigate, which is this kind of huge ruins. And they think that the earthquakes might be related to those ruins. And while you're exploring the ruins, you find a capsule containing a mysterious girl. And when you touch it, the girl is released from the capsule, and then you get attacked by an errant camel and meet a group of another three explorers, and you fight it and win. 
Um, after defeating it, the girl states that her name is Frederica, and she can't seem to remember anything, and the three explorers reveal that they were researchers sent here by the Midgard Library to investigate. And the three adventurers are Simon, the medic, Marquina, the protector, and Arthur, the alchemist. <clears throat> and you all decide to team up to investigate Gladsheim, and then you head back to uh, Etria. <clears throat> Hang on a second, let me get a glass a sip of water. Doing well, this all sounds very familiar. Yeah, so th- this is how your story starts. Um, unlike the classic mode where you create your characters, th- these ones you're given pre-made characters with pre-made classes, and the nice thing is that they all have personalities. Um, the main character, the Highlander character, is really the only one that's kind of the blank slate. He's the silent protagonist. Um, everybody else, you know, you have banter and all of that. What I remember about the characters is that they were surprisingly good at eschewing the usual tropes and actually coming across as relatively well-formed individuals instead of just being a collection of cliches. Yeah, yeah, because the alchemist character is kind of is a kid, but he's also very lighthearted and funny. And the medic character is a scientist and is is very smart, but also very serious. And the protector character, she's very jovial and funny and has a sense of humor. And apparently is also Canadian because she likes maple and says A at the end of all of her sentences. Yeah, it could just be the Fonzie. She loves to drink a lot, too. That, too. But you're given a task to explore the labyrinth, as you do in Etrian games. And as you go through the labyrinth, you start finding various mysteries. Um, The whole point of the game is that you're trying to help Frederica get back her memory. And you're unlocking terminals to help help make Glad Slime. I'm going to butcher that name throughout this entire thing. Um, Next one. I can't wait to see it. I don't think any of it's that one. Yeah, but you're basically trying to get through and figure out the further mysteries of the Gladsheim area. And after you beat the boss of the first stratum, you hit a terminal that brings back some of the power. And you go into Gladsheim and find uh, a machine that activates uh, an AI called the Mimetic Installation Keeper Engine, or Mike for short. And Mike recognizes Frederica and guides her to the inside of his operating system in order to retrieve her memories. And you find out that she was frozen, or she was put in stasis a thousand years ago by scientists to be the one to stop what was the Yggdrasil project. And the the lore kind of goes d- deep here because um, I don't remember if you find this out later in the game or what. The Yggdrasil project was to help defeat or help the world cope with a bunch of the pollution that was t- taking it over. And the Yggdrasil is supposed to basically cleanse the world of a bunch of pollution. But if it gets out of control, then somebody needed to do a failsafe in order to basically keep the tree from taking over the whole world. Um, that that was kind of explained in a supplemental thing on the Wikipedia. <clears throat> Let me get another drink. Yeah, and as I recall, once Frederica fully recovers her memory, she is not terribly enthusiastic about doing what her original mission was. 
Yeah, because basically destroying the Yggdrasil core uh, means destroying the civilization that was around Yggdrasil. So it's basically save the world, but kill a bunch of people. You know, you know it's it's the the train on the tracks question. If any of you are familiar with that at all. Yep. Yeah. Either kill the baby on one track or kill the three people on the other. Or yeah. Like that. Whatever variant yeah. you want. Like somebody's <laughs> going to die. You have yeah. To pick who dies? So as as you go up further the tree, um, you meet with the forest folk who'll tell you that you know you're not supposed to go forward, and the chieftain of Etria basically says, "Well, no, you, you need to eliminate the forest folk." Um, there's also something about the chief of Etria acting very strange lately. Um, so there's a lot of terminology in this. Uh, plot summary that's kind of a pain to explain but and i mean what you talked about after that first stratum is kind of what happens every time you finish the stratum it opens up a new area of the glad slime and you're going back and forth you're playing all the 25 levels of the original game every five after every stratum you're kind of going back to that other area yeah and unlocking there, more stuff exactly I mean, once you get past a roadblock in one, you basically got to run through the other half exactly. and figure out what you need to do. And there's always but, a boss, too, in the Gladsheim area, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, just like the regular Etria and Odyssey, you're dealing with foes and bosses and monsters along the way. And each stratum has its own puzzle, has its own kind of puzzle onto itself. Um the thing about the forest folk is that apparently they had a virus that was supposed to um, help cleanse the Yggdrasil core, and eventually one of them summons their god to stop you from destroying the Yggdrasil core, but they fail. But then you um, extract the virus from the forest folk to put into the Yggdrasil core to hopefully stop it, but not necessarily kill everybody, and it fails. And the game pretty much ends with you having to go shut down Mike in Gladsheim and Mike trying to stop you and um, Frederica being incredibly sad because she considered Mike a friend. It's been a while, but all that, 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 all, all those things come back. Yeah. There was a lot to this. I mean, it wasn't just, hey, you know, go 25 floors, beat the guy at the end. There were, some of this was in the original game, but only hinted at obviously yeah i remember i remember you getting to the to end speak of it the out game. loud all the time say what you didn't always say you didn't have the characters there that would speak all these things yeah last yeah, time so this was way more interactive yeah because I, I remember getting to the end of the game in the original and getting to the spot with the ruined city and when you find out that it's Tokyo and this game is taking off in the far off future, that was kind of a mind screw when I played through that originally. So the whole time, the apes, yeah, 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 you maniacs. <laughs> yep. But um, so you know, knowing what the big twist was going forward, I was thinking the whole time, okay, how are they going to implement this with an actual story mode? And of course, you know, seeing the girl in the stasis chamber at the very beginning of the game and being like, oh, okay, that's what they mean by a millennium girl because she was asleep for a thousand years and the AI is from the future. But then they, you know, they kind of had those twists about, um, the AI, the rogue AI, and what you're supposed to do, and the tr- the 
kind of moral decision there, and it added a fresh new twist to that to that story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that that's pretty much the plot in a nutshell. There, there's a lot of nuance there too. Um, like like I said, each cut each, each stratum kind of has its own problem that you have to solve. But the overall st- overall story is stop your soul core, but stop it without killing everybody. Yeah, it was it was a worthy remaking and retelling. I think they get a did a great job of taking such a bare bones story of the original and uh, expanding on it without it being, you know, basically keeping keeping people like me that played the original kind of still in an area of suspense, even though you kind of knew what happened. Exactly. I'm not one that really replays a lot of video games. I think there's so many out there that to replay the same game over and over again, I'm. I'm always feeling anxious for something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came out and I was like, oh man, I'm going to slog through 24, five floors again. I'm going to go back to the formula after playing Entry and 3 and after playing Entry and 4, which were so different from the first two, and just going plopping straight through 25 levels. Um, yeah. More to it. I mean, I played this after 4 and I was like, that was worth it. That was worth my 50, 60 hours of time. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that experience. Yeah, and, and for me, I I had played the first one like when it came out, like when it first came out. Yeah. So think. it had it had been long enough ago for me that really the only thing that I still remembered about it was the story, or was the uh, plot. <laughs> what twist. little that there was, the the plot twist or the the big reveal. Yeah, the the plot twist and the pain, because my god, that original one was hard. That much has not been transferred over, unless no. you want it to be. Yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of endeared me to this one was that it had a difficulty setting for the first time. And I used it. Oh, I used I was it. Trying to, I was trying to go in a fairly reasonable time. I don't think I, were, I, don't think I was the first person to review it, but I was do, doing a second opinion, I think, and I just wanted to get it done fairly fast. And also, uh, I had recently played 4, and I knew while it's... You know, I've just kind of gotten over the whole idea of having bragging rights. Oh, yeah, I beat it on Nightmare. I don't do that anymore. It's just not worth it to me. Yeah, I, and it's nice that it has two different play modes for the people that want the challenge versus people that just want to have a good time. Because for me, the, the fun of Etrian isn't necessarily about the overwhelming difficulty. It's about just relaxing and exploring the dungeon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it had the picnic mode. Um, Mike, that's what you played it on? Yep. And even actually the standard mode um, had a little bit carried over from Etrian Odyssey 4, where if you got a party wipe, you had one chance mode. You could restart from where you died. One or two stratum bosses that I died on, it was like, would you want to try that again? And you hit yes, and you were like maybe two tiles back. So, man, I immediately warped out of there, saved my game. Every time you stayed at the end and saved, you load. Now, I forgot. Doesn't this one also let you have a permanent um, warp wire in your part in your bag? Oh, I don't remember that. I mean, maybe that was I don't dependent think on that. So, I seem to remember that you get one by default, and they're pretty easy to acquire again. But I don't remember it just. Oh, being they're they're always a hundred. Yeah, currency is. And they're not dependent on finding items to use them. So you never run out. You could go buy 200 of them, which yeah, is I, more than you could say for other items. Yeah, I just remember that one of the Etrians and Picnic Mode pretty much had a, a 
is it, it, I'm sorry, Warp Wire is another game. An Adrian thread that yes. uh, stays in your, that never gets used up. But it, it could have been this one or it could have been four. I can't remember. I don't remember. Not at all, unfortunately. Uh, it was just handy not to have to worry about constantly having to, you know, remember to keep one in your bag at all times. Should we invite Phil back to this discussion to get into the gameplay since we're just starting to talk about that? Yeah. Somebody go poke him. Well, uh, depends on which tab I got where. Yeah, I, you mentioning that started making me think of some other gameplay things that they definitely improved upon in this. Sweet. Can't wait to hear about it. Oh, there we go. Since we were talking about the warp wires or the Adrian threads to get back... um. The first game, you could only warp to the first level of the stratum when you were in town. For one, you could go to floor six, you could go to 11, <laughs> 16, and whatever. You well, were in that's, the... that's a recipe for lots of retracing your steps. It is, but I remember what there was an auto mode where you could put down little arrows in the first game. And basically it made it like a railroad off so when you were standing on that arrow and hit the on button your player would travel through the maze automatically and there was always one of those two-way paths that you could crack open from the other side before you were able to go up to like floor two there was a cut through relatively close to the exit of floor one and when you got through to the end of floor two right before the stairs of floor three there was a cut back it was still annoying because you would still get attacked by the monsters but you could You'd have to map it out. You had to draw the arrows on the thing and go back. Still, 100% annoying, but they had where you could go to the stairs of any level once you completed it. It also seemed like it's starting in 4 that they started having like little um, tells and on the map of where the shortcuts were going to be so that you could mark them. Like a leaf would be different or something yes, that just kind of look very off. much so. And, and, and that was really great because if, if you're like me, your nose is pretty much just dug in that map the entire time you're exploring, and that gives you kind of a reason to pay attention to your surroundings. You're right. Well, I play these games are... looking at the bottom screen more than the top. In all the ones that I've played, like four, Untold 1 and 2, and 5, when it, I just make a habit of facing the wall every time I move anywhere and constantly shifting around to see if there's anything that I could have on another side of the wall. And if you do that, then you are pretty much guaranteed any time that you find something and a text cop caption comes up, then that you'll usually mark something. Uh, <clears throat> if it's uh, a passage through that you can only go through once you've gone to the other side, I always just put an arrow on it because that that helps me out enormously to know that all I have to do is get over to the other side of that and I can access that arrow. Oh, yeah, I would do the same thing. I'd put the one-way arrow at the time, not knowing if it was one or two way. And then when you yeah. get on the other side, if you could break through and go back and forth, change your map. The, the, fu the funny thing is that if you put the two way arrow and you find it, then it highlights that you found it, which is kind of neat. Well, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And the game is actually very nice in that if it is a one way, it will clearly tell you, Oh, well you can go through this, but you can't go back. Yeah, you didn't know it until you actually clicked on it to do it, but it did give you that bat that give you the out. Like, ooh, maybe I don't want to go that way. Not right now. Yeah, of course, and if it, you've got a foe chasing you, then that might be your only option. 
Oh, yeah, there's entire stratums that are built around that fact that they have one-way paths to help you trick foes into getting getting stuck or getting one way or the other. Or you're stupid like me and just get trapped in a corner and have to either waste your thread or attempt to fight the foe and get your ass handed to you. Foes tend to be, well, in the untold, they are not slow coaches by any means. But you can beat them if you are, if you feel like, okay, I've just beat a foe, then I'll go back and rest afterwards. Yes, I want to say this is about the time in the series where I didn't have to go two floors ahead and then come back to beat a foe. Yeah, I, I found that they really lowered the difficulty on the foes. If I could make it through the floor okay, I probably could approach a foe like a boss battle. Heal afterward, but I. At the end of floor 14, I probably could treat one of those foes as a boss battle, barely squeak through, and live to see another day. Definitely. And, and foes usually have decent loot to make you some pretty good weapons, too, which is oh, nice. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's, I, I believe that is more than just bragging rights. That's the whole point of beating a foe. Definitely open up some better weapons and items and stuff. And yeah, they'll give you a decent chunk of experience, but that's just getting experience and gaining levels is not going to win the day for you in Etri. No. No, you you know, have to know how to spec out your party and um, play to your cater to your playstyle too. Like my my playstyle always is always spec out the stuff more for surviving the dungeon than necessarily um, min maxing like how my party should work. But sometimes that bites me in the ass too. Well, surviving the dungeon was a little bit easier in this one. There yeah. was a there was a glitch in this game. Uh, exploited it. There was a glitch, and I can't remember what it was, but it involved using an item and then activating, but then backing up by using the B button to like back out of that skill. Oh, item, item duplication glitch. So once I got those items that would heal technical points or whatever they are, basically this version of MP. That was great. I could keep going because I would a few extra ones of these and heal up my medic who would heal me all and we could just keep on plugging through that level. Until your inventory got full. Well, yes, that was the catch. <laughs> your 60 item inventory that did not go one higher. That's one thing I liked about Etrian 5. It doesn't exactly get rid of that, but you can increase it a bit. And yeah. Mm -hmm. In here, well, you've got all this st those darn monsters. They keep dropping their their carapaces and their legs and their antennae and their goo and their feathers and whatever else. Mmm, severed eyeball. I always wanted that because well, yeah. you can make a nice shield out of a severed eyeball. Apparently, of course. <laughs> and it, it really it sees what's coming, blocks it. And it really behooves you to keep your gear up to date in these games because just having a little that little extra points of damage or defense can make or break you. I've never really watched the stat values go up upon level up because I don't think it tells you. I hadn't noticed. I just know that I like to make sure that my gear is always as up, is up to date as I can just to kind of help. I always found the gear to be, yeah, more important than... You know, you could get a better shield, and that would better with your defense than gaining two or three levels. Mm -hmm. Especially if you got, like, something made from either a rare drop or, oh, God, God forbid you get a rare drop from a, uh, a foe. Yeah. yeah. I think it goes with saying here that, or it's important to say that 
any every was it monster has a drop. It has a standard drop or two. You'll get a carapace. You'll get an eyeball. But I'd say about half of them, and pretty much all the foes and all the bosses have a rare drop. But that rare drop is activated by. Well, some of them it's a rare drop where you just have to kill them a bunch. Others. Uh, it'll, it'll only drop if you have bound the legs of this thing. Clay. Or it'll only drop if you've blinded it, or something like that. Hey, the fire monster, if you can kill it with fire, which is pretty weak to it, then you'll get something. Or there were there, there were certain ones like trees, if you burned it with fire, hey, you got a burnt stick. Yeah, a lot of the side quests kind of push you into experimentation a little bit. Exactly. And... The bestiary kind of hints at some of the things that you have to do, too, which is neat. It is true, yeah. It'll say I, – I can't remember how it's worded, but you're right. If you look at the bestiary, um, if you're not following an FAQ or something, you can – maybe I should have used lightning on that. Yeah, it'll say and, something uh, about these things are – things might be vulnerable to flame, or I wonder what – what happens if you twist the arms of uh, <laughs> of something that has huge arms? I don't know. I'm, I'm not I, coming up with an example. And I mean, it's been kind of, that's been kind of the series going forward because I had to lean pretty heavily on that in five because some of the some of the things in five were nasty. That if you didn't bind the legs or whatever, then you were in for a world of pain. Yeah, there are in the Etrian games. There's so many different elemental and stuff. You can you can bind heads, you can bind arms, you can bind legs. You got your fire, ice, magic. You have poison. You have petrify. You have paralyze. So I mean, you've also got all the stuff. You've also got bash attacks versus stab attacks. Oh, versus that's right, pierce attacks. Pierce attacks yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, well, right there, okay. there's a twelve pack of stuff right there that you could be doing to every an. Everyone. If you bind a head, then any abilities that use the head are not accessible for now. Same, it's same for you. If when if your mage or your priest gets a head bound, then you are probably in trouble for a while. Yep. If your arms get bound, well, some attacks don't really use your arms, but some do, and a lot of enemies have those too. Same with binding legs. And one thing that I think we can thank Atlas for is making it very clear in the descriptions of all of your abilities what part of your body needs to be unbound in order to make it happen. Yeah, I, I like it when games like this have weaknesses and stuff be intuitive. Um, tangentially related, but that's one thing I like about the Pokemon series, is that if you really sit and think about it, that, you know, okay, water would be a leak, weak to electric, you know, electrocution, that kind of thing. And this game does an excellent job of having things like that be intuitive. Oh, it definitely. Yeah, I mean, you can't cast a spell if your head is wrapped up. Or, you um, know... It, that multi-fist attack if your arms are bound. Or, you know, it makes sense that a really armored foe would need, like, a pierce attack in order to pierce the armor. So, yeah, that you're right. I never really thought about it that way, but it is very intuitive in this series. It's kind of like the developers thought about it before they threw it into the game. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Come on, that's giving a little I, I know too much that, credit. That's that's giving him too much credit, but maybe after playing a whole bunch of games with, maybe I'm just thinking of all that idea factory news we've had lately, where that <laughs> oh, makes no. sense. And back. And, so and basically, it, you're calling Atlas good idea factory. How about better idea factory? <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds fair enough. I'm sure. 
that someday I will be in a state of mind where an Idea Factory game will not strike me as a terrible, terrible vengeance for all of the sins that were inflicted upon a previous life and are being recompensed upon the present by vengeful ghosts. But that day is not right now. <laughs> so um, one thing that they had in the adventure mode, because you know, you're pretty much stuck with the party you got in adventure mode, which would seem like it kind of is counterintuitive to what Etrian Odyssey is. But the nice thing is that they included things called grimoire stones, which let you kind of... I don't know how to put it. Um, what you, skills. yeah, what you had yeah. skills from. Um, the, uh, I, I, I actually train your characters in things that they weren't necessarily experts in beforehand, but now you can mix and match a bit. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted your tank to have the heal spell. If you got one of these Greenmore stones with the heal spell, them and hey, now they can cast heal. Yeah. I, I had trouble remembering it because I didn't really utilize it all that much. Oh man, I spent too much time with these because I, you could combine them in this game if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a little bit different in Untold too. Um, but in this game, yeah, you could combine them. You could get um enemy skills from the enemies because they were random drops from enemies, and um, uh, it, you could do some of them, and I can't remember is. Or this one too, but there were ones where you could have d- equip different weapons because each one of these characters and each class only has access to like or three of the different like nine different weapons available in the game. You really wanted your back row have a good gun skill, which I guess I'd probably be untold too. The guns, but um, say you wanted them to use bows instead of just stabs all the time. Mm-hmm. If you got like a bow mastery or something like that and equipped on them, they could equip bows. And, and again, I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I do remember being able to equip different weapons, but if not both, you could do that with the stones too. Not just skills, not just spells, but and whatever. But yeah, I mean, you could really build up any way. And actually, they came out and stated after the second game um, that for five, they were not going to have these Grimoire Stones because any player could be any class and do anything. Five, they did away with that so that you had to focus more on your party builds again and how Uh, they could react with each other. It's like I I can see where they're coming from with that because that that can make take some of the fun out of the classes, but at the same time, I'm the type of person that likes to find the most broken build I can find and use it. And the fact that I don't have that versatility anymore kind of makes me sad. I mean, I think it was a perfect thing to add in for the untolds, since they were locking you in with a party that you didn't get to choose anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. A perfect feature they lost. They gave you a story but you lost some of the freedom to make the party you wanted. Yeah. You got, you got characterization. Thanks like characters making them the way you wanted. So they threw in a little something. And I, I do remember in the second game, I was getting like level nine monster skills that would just, like you said, break the game. Plowing through with, hey, this monster had an attack that turned everyone to stone and did whatever on that monster until I got one. Huh. <laughs> 
But at the same time, sometimes getting a whole bunch of grimoire stones, I do feel like I get a little paralyzed with choice, too. Yes. And it's kind of the same way with the characters at the beginning of the game. I mean, you're creating a party of five from how many classes were in these games? Twelve or... I mean, in... See, I don't remember the character classes in Untold because I only did story mode. True. Eleven of them. So here's a million-dollar question for you. Let's say somebody has Etrian Odyssey 1, or they played through Etrian Odyssey 1. Maybe they're not super interested in story mode. Is the gameplay differences in and of themselves make it worth playing again? Or the additions? Is there any other additions when you're just playing the pure mode? Or the original I mode, or whatever it's called? They The original mode plays more like Etrian 4. Yeah. The quality of life stuff is still there bones the story goes back to being bare bones and you can pick all your players i actually think the greenmore stones are even in the i i think a lot of it is going to depend on how far back you played the original game and if you want to re- go, go through it or not and or you know if you if you threw that in the original game in frustration because it was too hard um you'll have a <laughs> much easier time with this one, you know, either by dropping at the casual mode or just having a little bit more options. I can't... Oh, there's even a thing on glitches here about the... Oh, okay, so duplicating items in battle, there it really is. Um, apparently there's another glitch with putting more slots in the Grimoire Stones so you could have more skills. I do remember <laughs> you could combine them here and get extra skills on there. Um... I do believe they were in the story mode too, so or in the non-story mode, the original. So, original again with quality of life improvements and have your bare bones story with a better, easier difficulty and a little bit more of the quality of life stuff. You would have the floor jumps three instead of winding through one and two every time you wanted to go back because you know in these games you do go back a lot. You're not just plugging through floor one through five. Well, if you don't go back, then you can't sell all the juicy, juicy entrails <laughs> of the enemies to make them into web- new equipment. And they do you absolutely no good just taking up space in your inventory. Uh, that's true. I mean, even if you're powerful enough, you've just got to go back to town every now and then because you're bogged down by everything. I'm a problem. It might have been five. And, and we'll talk about, because Etrian told, introduced some DLC that uh, could help you. That I do not remember. I, the very idea of 3DS DLC still seems odd to me, mostly because I don't have the the wire for, the wireless connector on the 3DS very much. It burns down the battery real fast. Yeah, I'm the same way. Well, I'll comment on that when we get to Untold 2. Well, that sounds like a great segue. Sounds like y'all like it, though, at the end of the day. Sounds like you highly recommend it. That's my takeaway. Oh, away. yeah. So yeah, you played the first or not. So let's uh, let's keep this uh, positive train rolling with Etrian Odyssey 2 Untold, the Farfanir Knight. And that is how you pronounce it. I looked it up in the original dialect. It's Farfanir. Oh. Uh, this was uh, developed and published was by... This, is this related to Farfignugan? Yeah. Oh, that's where Actually, right that's, that, that is where the root word comes from. That's, that's very perceptive of you, Mr. Minky. Uh, but I would expect nothing less from a man of your intellect. Uh, this was that's developed... That's why you can get the... Uh... 
Oh, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is developed and published by Atlas, released here in the United States of America on August 4th, 2015. Uh, this is, of course, another deep, that's what the D stands for in these games, DRPG experience for your Nintendo 3DS system. And yes, it is single player. And you had to specify United States because the 3DS, unlike all previous Nintendo handheld systems, is region locked. Stupid freaking region. Not a fan of region lock. Tell you what, my wife gets so much fun out of her Vita because she can get games from Japan and stuff. She can actually created her uh, Japanese PlayStation login using Google Translate to help me get through their menus and stuff. It's really funny. And then I bought the, um, just so, I guess you can't really just slap your American credit card on a Japanese account. So I just buy the gift cards from PlayAsia. And, you know, and, and they give you the codes right away, so you can go right and put it on the account, and then she can go all, go and buy her uh, Japanese uh, boy f- husband food games or whatever they're called. <laughs> Anywho, we digress, though. <laughs> Has she got any Hatsune Miku games? I I'd have to I I don't really I just know she does a lot of these story things where she's dating boys and picking the best ones somehow they're better than me all the time but uh, anywho uh, we digress uh, we are here to talk about Edry and Odyssey to Untold the Farfineer Night and once again I'm gonna step away so you guys can talk about uh, the story of of Ariana and all of her followers everything else so. Take it away, new person and not new person. I'll defer to you. You did such a good job. You must have a better wiki open than me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Even though, you know, trying to kind of, well, to be fair, the untold story was kind of a mini novel onto itself. Um, this story is a little bit more straightforward. Right. So, <clears throat> Ariana, the princess of Caldeona. I'm going to butcher all these names, just a heads up. Oh, is, I'm waiting uh, for one of them. Yeah, is heading to an unknown ruin where she is to perform a Kelly, ritual. Just, just think, are you going to do worse than Phil? Probably. Probably. No. no. And the fact that Phil has stepped away for a moment so that we don't spoil things is the reason I'm able to say that, because he would immediately deny ever butchering anything's name in history. So, um, you're a silent protagonist, just like in the first game. Um, you're escorting a princess, Ariana, along with your best friend, Flavio, to uh, some ruins and to help her perform a ritual that takes place every century. And as you venture into the first floor of Ginungalap, actually, I messed that up. It's Ginungagap. Ginungagap. Um, as you venture into the first floor of that... The instant you met, uttered that name, I started to remember it, because I saw Ganungagap appear many times in the text. Yeah. It's a long word. <laughs> it's hard to ignore. But you encounter Bertrand and Chloe, who were sent to investigate the ruins, and um, Bertrand and Chloe are a protector and mage, respectively. Um, Ariana's class is a princess... The protagonist is um, a fighter, and Flavio is an archer. Not the actual class names, but you get the gist. That's that's their general job. Yeah. And your progress in Gnungigap is halted when you realize that a lowered bridge... Or, uh, sorry, I messed that up. Progress in Gnungigap is halted when they realize that a lowered bridge bars their progress. Whoever wrote that makes no sense with the lowered bridge... 
not do your progress, but whatever. And how dare you not copy check you you crazy wiki a people? Raised bridge. I could go in. Actually, I, I we're on the same wiki. I could go edit that right now. <laughs> and <laughs> you learn from Bertrand that a member of the guard is an expert on bridges, so they inform you to head deeper into the Yggdrasil labyrinth to find him. As it turns out, a power stone is needed to get the bridge to operate, and the only known source of one is in the lair of the Chimera. And the party slays the beast, and the protagonist gets another vision as more of his power awakens. I accidentally missed it. Yeah, so somewhere in the Gnunga Gap, the protagonist has visions and is guided by a mysterious voice and has transformation powers, which has to do with the ritual and being the Fafnir Knight. <clears throat> so, and, and it's it's just like the first game where you have these dual dungeons. You have the Gadunga Gap, which is kind of your story area where you go to find out more stuff, and then something halts you from messing around in there, so then you gotta go into the Yggdrasil and progress five levels and beat a thing in order to get more progress in the Gurunga Gap. Um, so, as you go forward, um, braving the second floor, you find out that the protagonist lacks the power needed to complete the ritual, and another great evil in the labyrinth must be defeated to continue. You go deeper into the labyrinth, you get a new power, you find out that you, you should be able to complete the ritual. Um, you meet this black guardian in the Gununga Gap, and he tells you that as the Fafnir, Fafnir Knight, you are to leave behind the world that you previously knew in order to succeed the next black guardian. Um, the party can't bother to leave the protagonist alone, and returns to Gununga Gap. Um, an anomaly to the, to the ritual occurs, forcing the party to stabilize the ritual and face off against Bertrand as a dim, Dime Fafnir. Um, you find out that Bertrand was supposed to complete the ritual several years ago, but due to a death in his family, he couldn't. And the person who was also supposed to complete the ritual ends up being the Black Knight. Um... Yeah, this story is all over the place in this one. It, 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 again, yeah. I mean, you, you're on the general path to supposed to be the one to stop this by being the one to stay there. Yeah, and yourself. and it, it isn't this ritual that you're supposed to perform basically stopping another Yggdrasil core from exploding? Uh, you're definitely in the Yggdrasil. Yeah, and there's a floating castle. And I... I and wasn't there a calamity in the first one? Because in the first one, when you had those librarians, or some of your party was from sent from the Grand Library, like one or two of them came from a city where they were left orphans by a calamity. And I, yeah. it's the same terminology this game. You're trying to prevent another calamity. So, I mean, the same thing in the same world, or kind of is, I guess, in the meta world. But... um it's not supposed to be the same. I, I think, once again, they've taken a bare-bones story about it. And and the, yeah, sorry. not 100% here. The, the funny thing about this one is that I played through the original Etrian 2, and I don't remember any of this. I, I, remember, I, I played the original when it came out as well, and I can tell you, this one had the least memorable. At least the first story, you had the, oh my gosh, we're in the future, this is yeah. Tokyo. What the hell did they do to the world? Um, 
Oh yeah. Three had boats. Four had airships. Two had. <laughs> yeah, and from from what I was reading, kind of the overall Etrian thing is that there were a whole bunch of Yggdrasil trees, and they all had this kind of thing where they needed a failsafe. And this is basically another Yggdrasil tree that needs to be stopped from destroying the world. Since these trees are tall and growing and growing, and yeah, eventually maybe it would be a good idea to turn these things off. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I mean, they've got whole races living in floors and stratums. And sometimes underwater, in the case of three. Exactly. But um, I I really did like the characters in this one. I I liked the fact that Bertrand was just kind of a lazy goofball, <laughs> which seems very unpaladin like. Or is he a paladin or a protector? I can't remember. Sure. I know that. He, yeah, I know that he's your meat shield character. Oh I yeah, can't yeah. remember what no, he type. is. Protector. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, your your mage character, whose name escapes me right now, Chloe, is uh, very stoic, very no-nonsense, um, calls things thingies and Mr. Bridge and things like that, which I liked about her. <laughs> um, your, pr- your princess character, Ariana, is easily flustered, but she also has a very gentle personality. I think she's one of the ones like leading the charge that no, you're not going to sacrifice yourself. Yeah. Ceremony to save me, to save the world, whatever. We could, there's other ways we can do something about this. Yeah. And then your best friend, Flavio, he's kind of the cheerful, upbeat guy in the party. Oh yeah. He's the, uh, kind of the, you know, kind of just keeps it all light. And and he, he he's my favorite class in most of these games, which is kind of the archer survivalist hunter type that's usually your main DPS and can be very broken when you spec into them correctly. Does he end up with, like, the chase skills? Is that what his... Ooh, I can't remember. <laughs> the, the, a lot of the skills in these games run together so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, when you got four... There's only so many things that you can do in a game. You yeah, can hit people. You can cast a spell. Yeah. So you're. It, there's only so many ways to. Uh, yeah. Say you're going to hit them, and I'm trying to look. I don't know. These are the grammar students for this one. It's like the ranger class. Mm-hmm. Speed up, risk protection. This one's got curses. It's best given a survivalist. Oh, I think again, this is builds with the Grimoire stones, like what you should give them. First hit, quickery, escape shots, ultimate bow skills. They also do the uh, gathering, the taking. Survivalists do. Okay. Gather items to then uh, make your healing potions and make make your weapons and stuff. Yes. So, this game, done with story, should we invite Phil back again? Yeah, bring him back then. I am here. My major contribution to the story is just to say that, again, the cast was enjoyable to spend time with and didn't feel like a waste of tropes and cliches and endless sayings that amounted to nothing. So were the, is this the game where the, they had the voices? Yeah. And I know we talked about in Untold 1, or maybe even in 4, you started getting the visual cues in the labyrinth mm-hmm. that uh, there was a cut through. 
This one, you didn't have to face, or you didn't even have to look. You could keep your nose down, looking at the map, be walking through, and you'd hear somebody be like, Hey, that tree looks weird. Yeah, I remember that. And you'd be like, oh, what? And you could turn left and right, and sure enough, there was the text box that would pop up. You want to push your way through? started having audio clues for that. Which is really nice, even though I tend to turn the battle voices off because they get on my nerves. Oh, battle voices are one thing, but the wandering voices were helpful. Yeah, the battling voices just like, woohoo, I'm back. Oh, but part of my problem is I tend to play at, at night before I'm going to bed, and my husband's usually reading a book, and I don't want to have to ha- hear him have him suffer through constant, yay, take that, ah! I'm the same way. If I'm playing a game <laughs> on a mobile device, I'm usually in bed. That, that and which is 90% of the times it's on mute, so I can keep going later than my wife can stay up. The, I tend not to like to mute uh, Etrian games all the way just because, oh my god, that soundtrack. So what about I some bedtime headphones? On that, the uh, first one. Yeah, we, we kind of skipped over that. Um, th- this game has probably one of my favorite final boss fight musics of all time. I think in the first... In the first phase where you fight uh, the final baddie, I almost said the name, and then Phil, I forgot Phil was going to play this at some point. But it was just this really hard rocking, just this hard rocking tune that I keep in my YouTube playlist all the time. Well, that, that Yuzo Koshiro, he's no stranger to composing some damn catchy music. Oh, he, he is so good. I, I like how relaxing the Labyrinth music is itself. Um, I find it so relaxing that a couple of times for uh, when I've had family over for Thanksgiving, I've put it on as background noise. <laughs> hey. And Do they I respond think... as intended? They just kind of, my husband's like, the song has been on a loop for a while and I should probably change it. I'm like, that, that's the point. It's supposed to be kind of incidental background very soothing. And he's like, well, change it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was not soothing enough for him. I, I guess not. But, yeah, I, I love how the music in this game can, it varies so much in style from very smooth jazz to very hard rocking tunes. Um, the town music I love. The boss music just gets you all pumped up and ready to fight. And the battle music itself is just, that gets you pumped up and ready to fight, too. The battle music does the job for every Etrian Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And Persona Q. I can't stop listening to Persona Q's music. Oh, that, that's really good. Oh, yes. I love it. Oh, it's so Even good. though you looked up the lyrics to the battle theme, didn't you, Phil? Yeah, Why did just, you have to do that? I don't know what the hell I was smoking that day. And I don't know what the hell they were smoking when they came up with those lyrics. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they're complete nonsense. They really, really are. and But you know what? I've, I've even got, like, in my YouTube playlist, uh, which so much music on YouTube, uh, but uh, the, the concert, they had, uh, you know, they have Persona concerts, and they feature the, 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 the carousel song that's at the beginning of Persona Q and the combat music, both versions, both, both, uh, both Persona 3 and 4 versions. It's awesome. And by the way, in both versions, the lyrics still don't make sort of sense, for the record. <laughs> But yeah, every single time Atlas announces a new Etrian game, I'm like, oh, please let it come with a, at least a soundtrack sampler. Yeah. Just so that I can have a little bit of it. Yeah. So why good. They, why don't they put on Spotify? Then they can make like a few 
micro sense every time I listen to it or something. Phil, unfortunately, you are assuming that Japanese media companies understand the current world, and they generally don't. Ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah. If the Dragon Quest Eleven situation was any indication, they they really don't. It, I'm afraid to ask. It's a tangent, but what is the Dragon Quest situation? Um, basically, the reason why we don't have orchestrated music in Dragon Quest games anymore is because the Dragon Quest guy wants to sell albums. Yeah. That know, is that is the brief version of it. Uh, I yeah. didn't say any more. Did what game? It was just. Well, we got had it, Dragon right? Quest Eight. When that got over, we got a, a fully orchestrated soundtrack in, where the Japanese release had just synth music. And that was it, right? I think you, yeah, you couldn't really do full orchestration on Dragon Quest Nine, not on the DS. Oh. And Ten, um, hmm. we never got. Of anyway, although there's rumors. I am not holding my breath. Well, if it wasn't a Square Enix game, there probably would have been a fan translation by now even though i'm not sure how you do that for an mmo but it's a square enix game and the ongoing <laughs> and yeah, I... I think square enix is pretty litigious yeah I, um, I it depends on if they're going to bring the game over because they've let the monsters games those are all fans translated bringing over for 3ds almost all of them have been fan translated they were letting a one for seven go until about a month before they mentioned that, or they announced that they were going to do it. And that 7 on the 3DS might come over was they sent a cease and desist. <laughs> of seven. On a total another tangent, I, somebody walked in on my office, and they, they were like, wow, I didn't know you were into classical music, Phil. You know, I always hear, like, rock and stuff from your office. <laughs> And, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, what, you don't think I can't be a classical type of guy? I, I later revealed to them, okay, it wasn't classical, it was video game music. I was listening to Final Fantasy Orchestra music. <laughs> Shirley and I had yeah, gone yeah. out and seen them. They played here in, in the Utah area with the Utah Symphony, and uh, it was really, really awesome. But a lot of people don't even know how much artwork and music is put into uh, these video games, that they really are these beautiful, gorgeous, uh, and, and wonderful to listen to pieces of art. Uh, just, it, it really is, it never ceases to amaze just me. Just as People much as who... a movie score. Yeah, yeah, it... they just have no idea. Well, it fits when games often have bigger budgets than movies now. Yes, they do. It, it never ceases to amaze me just how varied the music and a lot of Japanese games are and how you can go from these rockin' tunes to these classical overtures to, you know, some smooth jazz in an inn or some Celtic stuff uh, at a dance. Uh, like the, I don't know why I'm thinking about Final Fantasy IX and Rat River Dance, well, but... Final Fantasy VI's ending, 20-minute ending theme. Yeah. brings together all the characters' theme songs, uh, you know, with some of the other scores. Really does a great job of illustrating that point. It'll pull oh. you from smooth to rock to a little, everything in between. And it's so tear-jy if you play the game. Or, or, you know, dancing mad and, like, what, 17 minutes of one long continuous track that's basically nothing but prog rock. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. Uh, that was a pretty huge diversion point. Diversion. Etrian Odyssey. So, uh, speaking of Etrian Odyssey 2, Untold. Untold. Oh. <laughs> Farfanugan. Well, that, that Yuzo Koshiro, he contributed another amazing soundtrack long before I played Etrian Odyssey 2, Untold.
I had listened to the soundtrack because I really like Yuzo Koshiro's music. There we yeah, go. He, There's the uh, endorsement. He is so good. Actually, I want to say since 4 have come with the full orchestrated soundtrack on the 3DS, right? I believe so, yeah. Because, um, and here's a good segue to something I was going to talk about. They actually have DLC, and it might have just been for 5, where you could go back and do, like, the chiptone ones they were doing in the first few games. Because all of those early soundtracks came with both chiptune and much fuller renditions, although they were still synth at the synth, time. Yeah, and maybe it's not chiptunes, I mean, but the synth versions were part of the uh, DLC. But that was Yuzo Koshiro's modus operandi to begin with, that he wanted to make the music in the style of something that you could have made 20 years before Entry and Odyssey came out. Mm -hmm. He fit the style of the game. It's a kind of throwback kind of game. And it just so happens that when you've got a composer like him, who is actually able to compose extremely arresting melodies with such limitations. You know, some composers could do it in the NES era because that's the t- that's the period we're talking about for the most part, and some couldn't because either the hardware failed them or they just their style did not mesh with that type of uh, sound reproduction. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Yuzo Koshiro makes great music. So this was mm-hmm. the first Etrian game to have DLC. Did and it rolled out. Over the course of a few different weeks, um, and I've got the thing open. It the whole month. I guess it was released in August, and I actually remember doing this because I, I actually for some DLC here over the weeks. Um, they did have free. You could um, get the you could get extra portraits. The Highlander class from came back. He was the protagonist uh, in untold millennial girl you could download that for free for like a week um and i think like every week new ones came out and like one was free just for that week if you logged on and got it um and then others were always about two dollars i know i spent two dollars on one where you could accept the quest they got you a boatload of money for almost nothing floor one turn the corner beat something with one hit point and was like hey here's a gold bud turn it in for fifty thousand coins yeah, um, that, those, experience. those kind of DLCs, it's like they make me feel bad for buying them because it's basically paying <laughs> for cheat codes. But I ended up having to buy it for Etrian 5 just because that one was so hard for me to complete uh-huh. that I kind of wanted the little extra edge. Uh, yeah, I did it for the money in the other one. And like the money one I didn't use as much, but any time where it was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting wailed on by this boss next two hours just grinding 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 on the same monsters in the same labyrinth take the shortcut and go complete that and automatically pretty much level everybody up one <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I you know i had that little twinge of guilt and then i was like i just saved two hours i i just quantify it by like okay this is just buying a, a big mac meal it isn't that big of a deal oh yeah you could get <laughs> two or three of these for the price of a latte so i mean or a bottle of water at this point. So, I mean, uh, the the Call of Duties of the world and the Star Wars Battlefronts are so much worse and so much scummier. So I don't feel that bad about it. But it's just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm part of the problem right now. I mean, 
I mean, the way I kind of look at these is, is we know that games, you know, because I've, I've done a couple of these microtransactions or whatever they're called, DLCs, on yeah. some of my RPGs before. Uh, and the way I look at it is like these things don't even sell anywhere close to a Call of Duty or Tomb Raider or anything along those lines, right? Um, and so, you know, throwing them a few extra bucks for a game I really like encourages them to make more of these because they're not yeah. making it from the sales, right? They're not making these obnoxious sales that say, oh yeah, you just gotta, you know, pump out more of these games. So I feel like, yeah, sometimes, I, I one of the games I bought, I can't remember which one it was, but it was like 10 or 20 bucks above the normal asking price for that type of game and uh, brand new and I bought it. My friend's like, why, why did you do that? Why didn't you like wait for a sale or something? Because it was priced so high and I'm like, it was probably one of those entry, or, um, Square Enix like uh, Bravely Defaults or something. Because there was the Square Enix tax, remember that, on the 3DS games? Mm-hmm. And I was like... tax used to be around for quite a while. Oh, yeah, the Atlas tax. And I'm like, because I want them to make more of these games. Like, Square doesn't mm-hmm. do a whole lot of JRPGs, like real JRPGs in my... You know, I don't count Final Fantasy. I'm like, I want to see more of these these types of turn-based games. That's what it was, turn-based mm-hmm. games. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm paying the tax. I'm paying a little extra. I'll buy some DLC on those games to encourage them to do more of this. Yeah, and it... I always rationalize it too until a few months ago, or at least a year ago, whatever. But I bought this with my twenty uh, percent discount pre-order, so you know. Yeah, there you go. Right, right there. I'd saved eight dollars or nine dollars, ten dollars, whatever, and so I'll Wait, throw four or five dollars. Let us let us have a moment of silence for my uh, sadly departed Best Buy twenty percent off new game discount. Oh, I I okay. was so upset. I'm over when it now. What was and, the last game you got with your discount? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like Wait, that's did I, like. Did a I good miss time. something? Did Best Buy get rid of the discount, or is Best Buy dying? No, no Best Buy got rid of it. Yeah, they got rid of the discount, which there's, probably means they'll no be dying. There's no Best Buy so. within about six hours of me, so I haven't been there in years. Okay, they had this. What they had a really great twenty percent off of new games or pre-order games discount program they used all the time. You paid like thirty bucks for two years, uh, but I when I bought a Switch. I easily made that 30 bucks up just in the first batch of games that I bought. And then I just kept doing all my new games through them. And if I was really super lazy, Best Buy did online with free delivery just like Amazon did. So I could always just deliver it to the house and save the bucks that way. But yeah, they kind of ixnit. Both yeah. have their programs pretty close together. Yeah, so, so did Prime. And I still have stuff that's pre-ordered that I got like just right before they did. They asked the discount. But I, I was pretty upset about them d- doing that because you could get some pretty amazing deals. Ooh, Smash Brothers. That's what's still on pre-order with my discount. Smash Brothers. I uh, which, which Smash Brothers? The new one that's coming out. Okay. Oh, there you go. I, I can't think... remember Etrian Odyssey X or Mountain. Um, I think that may have been my last order. I can go to Amazon and check. But I, I know that one of mine is... Uh... Um, da- Persona Dancing All Night, the d- the double pack that was mm. supposed to be ninety nine, and I got it for sixty. Ooh, ooh, oh, we get to you to digress. Uh, okay, so Millennial or whatever. No, yes. wait, whatever no. we're on. Eo two, yeah. So good game, very good game. Yes, I, I I haven't spoken much about this one yet, but you know what? I consider it about on the level of the first Etrian Untold. It manages to turn what is not a narrative-driven game, into a much closer approximation of one. It does so without becoming irritating or infuriating. And the no- 
the standard entry mechanics are still there, except they've been changed just enough to make it so that even if you've already played Etrian 2, you're going to get some more material that you didn't already anticipate and experience. Mm-hmm. Now, now if you've if you so if you played the originals, are the dungeons the same? Are you playing through basically? Yeah, there's some story, but you're going to be playing through these same old dungeons again with some tweak gameplay mechanics. Yes. Okay. Fair but enough. you have the second. <laughs> yeah, the same 25 floors are there uh-huh. that you went through, okay. but there's a second area. You've got the dual dungeon mechanic going on in both of those games, where you're going back and forth from of every stratum, every five floors in the original, you're going to the other one, whether it was the glad chime and untold one or the gummy gap thing and untold two. And that adds quite a few hours and lots of floors and different there. Well, probably adds some freshness to the grind. I mean, cause when I played the originals, I had to go back and grind a lot of floors, you know, oh, yeah. over and over again to get my party where they needed to be. So it sounds like here you, 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 at least if you're grinding, you're doing it in fresh floors in between. So you're not grinding the same floors quite as often. Exactly. Because when you squeak by that boss at the end of floor five hours of play in a brand new location before you come back to floor six, we're ready for that found that in both of these games and i think we said this earlier i can't remember if it was not, but the foes could be taken on in the original games i was on floor four and like oh i think i'm finally strong enough to take off take on that foe on floor two floor six here and i could maybe right as i hit the floor the stairs to floor seven i could actually go and beat a foe on that floor grinding not really grinding but just playing through the second dungeon helped a lot so uh, uh, another question for you if you guys were going to go through and play it uh, or you recommending to a friend who's playing it for first time do you have them play do you do do you do you recommend that they play through the story mode to get the juicy story or play through vanilla mode so they can create their own party which which do you feel is more satisfying um, it, it really depends on your personality. If you're the type of person that just doesn't, that just wants to go exploring and just mashes through quest texts, then you're going to want to play the um, classic mode, the the one with the, where you create a party and just venture forth, because the story is very bare bones in that one. If you care about story in video games and want to have some deep lore with some excellent character interactions, then the adventure slash story mode is the way to go. And I, I will say that the story mode gets pretty talky, and I will admit sometimes I would get a little bit annoyed when uh, I would, you know, like go to the inn and get get sucked into a conversation. It's like I just wanted to save. <laughs> no, we're gonna talk about the things that we ha- were that we're gonna eat tonight first. Oh, speaking of which. That was a big gameplay mechanic in Untold 2. And Mike, it goes back to your point in Untold 1 about inventory control. There was a whole food mechanic and recipe mechanic in Untold 2. You could bring back... I think that was somehow lodged in my subconscious, which is why I decided to bring it up. See, I couldn't remember if that one had the food started the food mechanic or if it was 5. Because I cooked a lot of food in 5. Well, in 5, you made the food... And they were actually items that you kept with you. Okay, but in this one, it was uh, just buffs, right? It was buffs, that's right, yeah. Okay. You were in the town, 
and you'd go to the place and the lady's name was Regina and you'd be like, Hey Regina, let's make this soup. And that soup would and 10% the next time you went into the um, Yggdrasil. And then you could make a soup that like, Oh, rare drops would go up or guaranteeing like enemies would drop something every time or whatever. And yeah, there was tons of buffs were like, Hey, let's make this fiery soup that makes you resistant to freezing or something like that. So there were a bunch of different soups that you could make or soups, whatever. They were all different meals, but they would only last from the next time you entered until you left. Okay, help help me out. Am I remembering a mini game that went with these recipes or am I thinking of another game? Right there, because I'm trying to think about how you knew what went where. Yeah. You'd be very right about the food mini game. I, I, after you've been playing RPGs for 20 years, all the hey. different mini games and stuff just kind of blend together, so I can't remember what was what now. But I, I could have sworn there was a mini game. I maybe, don't remember one. Maybe our good friend Mr. Michael Laps can help your memory out a bit. We we know he was so addicted to Etrian Untold 2 that he persevered and finished it where he barely even touched the original Etrian Odyssey 2, right? Um, I finished, like, two floors. I feel like Not... that's that's falling a little short of the bar there, Chief. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're right. It wasn't necessarily a mini-game, but you had to figure out the recipes. Yep. She gave you hints. Yeah. Eat a feather of a beast that is the color of night or something like that. Yeah, because I got really sucked into wanting to find all the recipes for no other reason than just because I wanted to see what all they would unlock. Uh-huh. So yeah, not so much a minigame, but, like, puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew that it wasn't just make the thing. It, it, like, had some kind of discovery element to it. I just, I got it confused with something else, so I apologize. I mean, and, I mean they went up. Like, the one that, if you was going to, exp- you couldn't find certain ingredients until you were in Stratum 4 and... That was obviously a bigger buff than the ones from the ingredients you made in Stratum 1. And Yeah. And I, I remember some of them had, had me tearing my hair out, especially since I played the game when it was new, so nobody had figured them out yet. Yeah, well, that's where game FAQs come in. I You just type in an ingredient, and oh my gosh, somebody started a thread on it. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Prima Games. Oh, that was horrible news. <laughs> oh, you just had to bring that up. I thought we were trying to avoid these these sidetracks. Well, you, you know, there, there's something to be said about print strategy guides when you don't have Art to rely there. on crowdsourcing. Artwork, trying... yeah. yeah. Did, did Prima make them for Etrian Odyssey? I never... No, I, no. Okay. But I, I dealt with a similar issue in Dragon Quest Eleven. Oh, I would have... I, I really wished for one in that. But, but yeah... When, when you're having to rely on crowdsourced information for a brand new game, which I've had to do for every Etrian I've ever played, it can get kind of frustrating when you're stuck. Very much so. Either that or know how to find Japanese websites and just decipher the maps from there. I'm pretty sure I've looked at a Japanese map once or twice. I want to say <laughs> Etrian 3 was the only one I didn't pre-order and have day one, so yeah. Yeah, I've had to look at many a Japanese map to figure out stuff for for Etrian and Persona and yeah. Well, so so definitely sounds like a super fun game. We'll, we'll do a wrap up on all these games, but we still have one more to talk about. Oh. And and I'm a little worried, just a little, just a teensy tiny bit worried. 
that we're not going to be finishing up this trilogy on the most positive note possible. But before we move on to that, I do want to say I'm sad that we're probably not going to get an Etrian Untold 3 since um, Nexus next year is going to be the last 3DS Etrian game. Sad face. So, oh, here's a good question for you. Is if 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 I'm gonna play three or the new one one or two, which one? Which which one? Which one's the best? Oh, that's a tough decision because the of of the original DS trilogy, three was the best one, hands down. No, hands down. But compared to the new one and two, oh, compared to the enough story too. Mm, Yeah, tough one. I mean, yeah. I mean, compared to the new one and two, it's like go, going back to Diablo one after playing Diablo two. Just all the little changes and stuff that they've made to Untold one and two. But I, I say, if you want a, a really good story, go back to three. But just be, be prepared for a hint of frustration. Mm-hmm. There's more exploration in three too. Yeah, yeah. Exploration and a decent enough story to carry you through. Yeah. Of, of of the two untolds, I think one is just a little bit better than two because um, I thought that the story in two was a little bit forgettable. Seeing that I've forgotten the story in two, I'll agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, it just – it didn't stick with me. It, it was okay, but um, – the fact that I stumbled through even getting through the plot summary of it tells you that <laughs> not a lot of stuff went on there. But what's better than all of them, you may ask? Well, it must be Etrian Mystery Dungeon. Must be. Which takes the gameplay mechanics of no previous Etrian <laughs> game. Etrian Mystery Dungeon was developed by Spike Chunsoft. And Atlas, that first one should probably worry you just a tad bit, published in North America by Atlas. Uh, This was released on the Nintendo 3DS in North America on April 7th, 2015. Uh, This is a single-player RPG experience, or FRPG experience, if the F stands for frustrating. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) R for roguelike. Is that your next month theme phil that in february you're going to try and have a frustrating rp marathon yeah frustrate frustrating rpg mar- apps of freaking lootly uh, oh, i was thinking no. of a different f word but sure um, okay. yeah call <laughs> it f, call it f this game february <laughs> yeah go that's where i was thinking <laughs> both oh, both are applicable to the dark spire Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, don't go there. We're not talking about Dark Spire. We're talking about Entry of Mystery Dungeon. Okay. I am, I'm actually going to listen to y'all talk all about this because after reading Mr. Beaky's review, I feel like I have zero <laughs> interest in this game. So I'm not going to go and care about the story. So, you, know, you... you want the story? I'll tell you the story. <laughs> There's a town. It's called Aslarga. You are some adventurers. You go look around in some dungeons around Aslarga. And when you look around, you wake up some dangerous monsters that start to pop out of the dungeons. And they come after the town. And you've got to find a way to stop them. That's the story. Yeah, usually, you know, usually before a backtrack, I'll sit there and I'll read up on the stuff, the plot summary to remember all this stuff because you know a lot of times it's been several, almost a decade since I played some of these, and this one it's like, oh, there's no plot summary either. Nobody, either nobody played this game or nobody got far enough to care. Well, 
I dare you, <laughs> Kelly. I dare you to go and play it so that you can contribute uh, the plot summary that Etrian Mystery Dungeon is lacking on the don't internet. Don't do it. It's a trap. Uh, it's a I, trap. I, I, <laughs> Run away. Mike, I rolled credits on it. Oh, wh- well, how are you not remembering the plot? You are as qualified as I am now. Plot summary. I just gave you what I took from my own review because I cannot. I, I think we just saw the volume max out on, yeah. on, <laughs> on Total Recorder. It just went into the red and it just blew up. I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I was so focused on trying to survive this game and not chuck my ideas into a wall that I think the story just kind of left my head. Well, to be fair, the story takes up approximately the same percentage of time as... I don't even want to go with an older Etrian Odyssey. We've got to go for something more like uh, a mystery dungeon. Yeah. (laughs) What? A mystery dungeon? Yeah, the plot is, there's a dungeon. You're going to go explore it. This one had more than one dungeon. But instead of being a nice controlled labyrinth, you get random dungeons. Oh, See, yes. that's another reason. I was going to bring this up for Etrian's Untold 1 and 2. Even if you've played Etrian 1 and 2 raw, those are fascinating, complex dungeons that had some care put into their design. With Etrian Mystery Dungeon, you get random dungeon design. Hey, now, there's nothing wrong with random dungeon design. Yeah, Mikey when keeps it fresh. Random I... dungeons keeps it fresh, right, Mike? When it means you'll correctly. never play the you'll never play the same thing twice. You'll play it the same way, and it'll look similar, but it won't be the same. Not precisely. Wait, if you put that fort down there, it locks them into not changing. It does. I remember. Yes, yes. Interesting, because who the heck wants to go back down to that again and again and again? Because you have to when somebody dies, and you don't want to be walking along a corpse the whole way. But FOE well, okay, okay. starts getting ready to attack the no, town. No, no, no. They are DOEs in this game, oh, sir. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I wrote this review for you, and you're not even consulting the things that I put down in my review <laughs> to provide a guide for people years later. <laughs> like myself. <laughs> you're writing future... So your reviews are basically setting the RPG backtrack in the future. Mike, Mike, you have to forgive him. He is the new guy. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you, Mike, how how much do you like roguelikes? I'm curious. Talking to me or Mr. Apps? A- any of you. I mean, what, what's, our, what's our take on roguelikes? Are we fans of them? Are we not fans I, of them? I love roguelikes. This is not a good like. Uh, I apparently have played concept. nothing but bad roguelikes, so they leave a bad taste in my mouth. Uh-uh. I'm more with Mr. Minky there. I've gotten through one Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, or maybe two, and not really played any of the other roguelikes. See, me, I I love roguelikes as long as they give you a chance to overcome the adversity that you're facing. So, um, just as Here are the the other roguelikes that I distinctly remember playing. Fatal Labyrinth, Piece of Junk on the Genesis. Uh, Waka Waka Puyo Puyo Dungeon. Um, I played that because I was in a big Puyo Puyo Mono Monogatari phase for a little while. I hated it. Didn't get very far. And Izuna, the very first Izuna, which I remember angering me so much that I did throw my DS across the room at one point. 
<laughs> Sir, this this is a chronicle of pain. I'm so sorry. So perhaps you can understand why I am extremely reluctant to approach roguelikes now. And then along came Mac three and a half years ago, saying, "Hey, we've got a, we've got a code for Entry Ministry Dungeon. Who's who's eager to have it?" And I reluctantly, but definitely, sent him a reply stating, "I am not eager, but I am willing to take this on." And he sent me the code. And I got to download it on my 3DS. And you know what? It has some nice remixes of Yuzo Koshiro tunes. That I will give it. Because <laughs> it does. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy roguelikes quite a bit. And I, I, can, I can say definitely that I didn't hate this game. However, I can see why somebody might have problems with it. Because it, it is very finicky, especially with the dough mechanic. Yes. Um, okay. okay, so let's start with your standard roguelike, you control one character, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here, since we've got a party, you've got up to three other characters that are just hanging around. And they are governed by AI. And that really AI one, right? is... Oh, oh, sure. This is some of the best AI circa 1982, I would say. <laughs> just, just look at the brilliance of your characters as they stand there in the in the hallway. As you're stuck in a room, you're trading <laughs> blows with something, and they could probably get around you, but they don't because they're really, really stupid. Uh, uh, oh, hey, hey! Our leader is fighting a lion in there. Uh, no, we don't need to do anything about it. <laughs> Let's just stand here and twiddle our thumbs. <laughs> uh, so, we have brilliant, wonderful AI. Truly among the greatest AI I have ever seen in an Etrian mystery dungeon game. I mean, it, it borders on virtual, you know, intelligence. Self-awareness, even. Should we it be does. worried that Chunsoft and Atlas are going to um, create the machine that takes over the world? Yes. Yes, you should. <laughs> Maybe I don't think it's going you. to be successful at taking over the world <laughs> with, the, with the abilities it has displayed so far. Maybe they're just luring <laughs> you into a false sense of security. Or maybe Chunsoft and Atlas will be bought out by a large corporation with more stringent AI standards in the near future. But I'm, I'm sorry, that, that doesn't happen at all now. People don't buy out things that they, instead of have competition. Uh, okay, so we've got the wonderful AI. Then we've got the DOE. I, you know, I'm sure if I look through my review, I'll see exactly why they're called DOEs instead of FOEs in this game. <laughs> they're they're foes. They're big suit. They're super bosses, basically. Yep. Not, they are. not even super bosses. They're just uh, more powerful monsters that you aren't supposed to be able to defeat. But well, when, I know in Etrian, the <clears throat> dungeon crawlers, you're not supposed to be able to defeat them right away. But in this game, it seems like you're supposed to. Oh yeah. Oh they yes, you are. The city, right. Yes, and here comes the – see, you can have a couple of other parties that you don't directly control, but they can man the fort when you set up a fort in these dungeons. Because oh, if you set up right a there. fort, when you set up your fort, you have just locked in the dungeon design for several levels, mm-hmm. and you want that. You want that because you can return to the fort when you go back to town. Instead of having to go down all the freaking levels that are random and annoying and irritating again. And you have to have the fort because otherwise you won't know when those stupid DOEs are popping out and you can't let them get to town. Or I think there, I think there's something that happens if they get to town. And I don't honestly remember what it was. I just remember 
don't you dare let it happen because people are going to hate you. You have let the town get smacked, get sacked by these awful monsters. Something like that. I can't remember if it was if it was game over or if stuff would get destroyed. Did you have to build up parts of town by getting people to come to towns and hold festivals or something like that? Is this the game I'm remembering with this? I don't remember any of that. Okay, well then. I think you're just supposed to go down into the dungeons and turn off the taps by beating the boss so that no more DOEs pop out of the... Apparently that's how it works. Even though you can just keep running around those dungeons to your heart's content. But what's, and you know, in a normal game, this would be a fine mechanic of, you know, kind of a d- defense mechanism. But the way you had to beat those DOEs was a pain in the ass because I think you had to get no less than two status ailments on a DOE to even be able to do any sort of damage. Correct. Uh, Kelly, I have no idea what you're talking about. Doing one damage with each attack is fun. It's a joy. <laughs> which is what you will do without any status ailment. Yeah. And then you can watch your characters die quickly and destroy your fort, which you will have to go down and build again, which will cost you money. And if and of course, while you're doing this, A, if it's not your main team, if a DOE just pops out of nowhere and goes after you, then it'll be the B team that's manning the fort and that has to deal with it. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes that's enough. Oftentimes it isn't because for whatever reason, you may not have felt like spending an extra 10 hours or so to make your B team actually worthy, which again requires you to put those people in the front line and have them do stuff. I do want to give it slight praise, though. Once you actually make it through all those levels of the dungeon, get to the boss, then suddenly, magically, the developers show that they understand how to let you control all of your characters simultaneously instead of just one while the AI does its terrible job. Because the boss battles actually have, um, there is a mild tactical element because you can actually control all four characters. And of course that means that the boss battles happen seldom and there are, what, five in the whole game? Yeah. Like one per dungeon, right? Yep. And, of course, that means you cannot get used to being able to control your stupid characters because, well, that would be too good for you. you... See, uh, sorry, go ahead. I No, go ahead. I'm I'm looking through my review to remind myself of the other mechanics. So, by the way, things get damaged when the DOE reaches town, and then you have to pay to fix it. One little thread here where it damaged their um, hotel that you usually – can store your items at, and it damaged it so that they couldn't access their or their money stored there, and the repair cost was more than they had. Well, they were kind of stuck in the game. They couldn't fix the area where their money was stored. Ouch. <laughs> Great mechanic. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate that they tried to do something unique with this game, but I think it was way too advanced for most um, roguelike fans to handle. Like, I, I know I got around a lot of the DOE fights by basically, you know, waiting for one to spawn and then going up and down on the floor on my fort until it would show up in my fort and then having the eight player battle with it and ho- hoping that I could overwhelm it enough to defeat it. And I remember at least one occasion when I had just managed, just managed to beat a DOE, not without casualties, and then another one popped up. <laughs> that was fun. 
That was my issue with the game. I'd be in Dungeon 3, halfway down, cruising along, like, yeah, I'm doing pretty well here. And all of a sudden, you get a notification that the town was about to be attacked. POE, second party there, ready to defend. You needed to get out of Dungeon 3, go back to Dungeon 1, encounter that thing. Couldn't make progress. I, I, I quit at about the 16-hour mark. I kept going because I had a review to write. Thank you, Mac. I'm sure he has bigger concerns. Uh, apparently, I felt the need to in my review to note that the dungeons look pretty much the same throughout, which when you're looking at the same randomly generated floor over and over, it gets old real fast usually doesn't happen in an Etria Odyssey. You've got the new stratums. You always have something new and beautiful to look at. Well, you don't get that here. <laughs> you look at you look at floor one of your 15-floor dungeon, and it looks the same as floor 15. Oh, I'm sorry. There's some shadows on floor 15. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's usually not the case in most good roguelikes. That's one of the many things I didn't like about this game. How Just... far did you get, Mr. Apps? Uh, I don't even remember because I just found like the mechanics fundamentally bad, like right from the start. <laughs> like just, I mean, a, a part a party in a roguelike it just doesn't work for me. It, it it fundamentally messes with like the basic mechanics of like a a traditional roguelike. And even if you had full control of all your characters, I think it would just slow things down too much. As to just making it not fun. So uh, honestly, I would have preferred if they just let you take one character into a dungeon, and I don't know, maybe make a bunch of different characters so you can mess around with the different classes. But yeah, I really, absolutely hated the party mechanic. I think it's awful. <laughs> well, I'm sure you will be gratified to note that it's possible to go solo. Probably, I, not I remember advisable. that. That is a possibility. <laughs> I don't think it's recommended. No. Because as this is still using some of the Etrian mechanics, at least attempting to throw them in here, you can get hit with status ailments and whatnot that if with a party you can clear up, but if you've got one character who has suddenly been paralyzed or whatnot, and you've you know, when the entire game balance was designed around having assistance around to get rid of that for you, you might be in a bit of hurt. Or perhaps a more than a bit of hurt. <laughs> I I will say one thing. I talked to a friend who's a huge Etrian fan. Plays all these games. Does all buys all the DLC because some of the DLC is super bosses. Played Mystery Dungeon. Loved Mystery Dungeon. Um, I think I, I bought it because he had it and loved it in the first week. And back then, even Amazon Prime would give you the discount within two weeks of release. So I bought it at a discount at that point. Panic that killed me the one where i was in floor in dungeon three and going back to dungeon one there's something after like you beat two doe's to the town in a dungeon that dungeon then gets locked off basically you've really the dungeon of doe's and apparently had i gone just a little bit farther i would have been able to do that through the whole game like grudgingly but uh that was a possibility i just kept envisioning because i didn't know how long it was going to be i kept envisioning being on thinking that Dungeon 4 and Dungeon 2 would be calling for help. One of them's a goner. Which I think is a... St I seem to remember that the way to stop that is to build a fort within, in the range of the final floor so that it actually 
lock all of the positions, all of the floor layouts in place. That sounds familiar. If you could do that and beat one of them or something like that, then... Yep. Because I really didn't feel like having to create and sustain a team for each freaking dungeon in the game. Yeah, I I think what I ended up doing was having, an like you said, an A team and a B team and constantly swapping them out and making sure that they all stayed around the same level. And just clearing out the dungeons one at a time so that really the only one that was spawning FOEs that could be considered a problem would be uh, the main dungeon. But I can see why, you know, you having to play this for a review and not wanting to deal with any of that. Uh, Yeah, and again, thanks to my review, I can tell you that the seventh dungeon is the one you have to complete in order to get an ending. That is far from the end of the game. <laughs> you want to keep going? Not only does that seventh dungeon suddenly change after you the boss, but there are more. Go oh, I, for it. I rolled credits, but I did not continue. I was like, okay, this is good enough for me because this, this is very str- – this is stressful even for a roguelike. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would have liked this game if they just gave you like an optional, hey, here's a 100-floor dungeon or something like that, try to get to the bottom, so that I could play that instead of the the main mode, which I did not care for. They, they, but, they, they implemented the FOE mechanic completely wrong in this one. Yeah. They, they should have done something else. Requiring you to fight them is very different than the usual Etrinatus. <laughs> I mean, you can you can just let them go by. You can let them go to town and wreck things and take away from your limited cash resources. That that sounds like a fun mechanic, doesn't it? If you like pain, sure. Some people do. There are people out there who really, really enjoyed this game. You know what? Let me see here. Wait, Let's wait, wait. see what could be on Game Facts. I wonder if there are any people who just have to tout um. Oh, this game is so awesome. I'm reading a thread right now of everybody who really hated it. I'm seeing severely punished. Don't let a DOE get to the end of the dungeon. Rage quit. <laughs> Maybe I'm missing the positives here. The funny thing is that there's a sequel coming out in the in Japan. I wonder if they fixed any of these no issues. Way. Well, apparently it didn't, didn't sell too. well enough outside Japan, so we won't learn. And I... Ooh, oh, oh, here we go. This game is so fun. I've never played an Etrian or Mystery Dungeon game before. Oh, that's right. There was. Here, here we go. Yes, this is this is the kind of thread that we should study so that we can learn what it is that we're missing about the quality of this game. Oh, and of course, it's somebody who hasn't even faced a DOE yet. <laughs> <laughs> you don't encounter anything hard. Right. It's a great game. I didn't know what I was doing, but I restarted, and since then I've cleared the dungeon wipe again. I'm about to face my first DOE. How high level do I have to be till I can kill them? Well, there's a part two in Japan. Yeah, I was going to say, Mike, it got a sequel. Obviously, it, it it's superior quality, and we're all just super wrong. It, it sounds like you would rather play, uh, I think it was Tao's Adventure on the original DS before you'd play this one. I never played Tao's Adventure. Oh, that that was the terrible sequel to Azure Dreams that you could only control with the stylus. That was also a roguelike. Ooh. 
Ah, yes. I think of that wonderful thing that Dawn of Sorrow did, making you whip out the stylist in order to kill the bosses. Stylist only controls. I, I, I love all the developers who did that, because it made the games age so well. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved As Your Dreams. That was my first roguelike, as just kind of a quirky little introduction to roguelikes as a whole. And I remember getting Teo's Adventure on the original DS and being like, this is hot garbage. <laughs> Well, I'm I mean, sure Mr. Apps can tell us what a good idea it would be to control a roguelike with only the stylus. Uh, that sounds awful. If you want a roguelike on DS, what you want is uh, Sheer and the Wonder, which so, is... So I don't want Izuna 2. It wasn't a significant improvement over Izuna 1, which was a piece of trash. It, um, it was better? Question mark? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I uh, played that one. Uh, no I mean, love for... No love for any of the Pokemons. Eh. <laughs> I beat the first. I beat the first two, fifteen hours into the third one. I heard the fourth one's really good. The latest one. I only I, managed to finish the first one, and I remember the story being very heart wrenching. I don't the hate the Pokemon one. ones. I just think they're they veer too much on the easy side. Just oh yeah, they're not to my sensibilities, but they're not bad. Ooh, they're, ooh, they're, here's another wonderful game facts topic. So well worded. Is it the DLCs worth eight fifty? <laughs> oh, how, how, how do I shot web? Well, you know, on the GameFAQs forums, you find nothing but well thought out arguments. So I'm sure this will be an incredibly compact and effective argument in favor of paying eight fifty for the DLC on Entry Mystery Dungeon. Oh yeah! After all the hate, I I, I kind of have a hard time recommending this game. <laughs> this oh. person says eight fifty isn't too bad for a game that I'm going to spend one hundred plus hours on. <laughs> I love it when people are able to forecast the future so accurately. The next person put one hundred twenty hours into it, so they said, "Go right ahead." Great <laughs> choice. Comes in handy later on in the hundredth hour. <laughs> I'm sure it does. That's a great thread. Some of these people sound pretty masochistic. Got even worse than the grammar it started with. <sighs> Either masochistic or just have idiot savantism when it comes to <laughs> roguelikes. They love keeping four parties going. <laughs> Will I like it if I hate roguelike style games? <laughs> Why would you ask that? Why? <laughs> I hate roguelikes. Will I like this roguelike? No! No, you will not! God! Especially with this one. This isn't the one that breaks the uh, curse. No! As I said, you find nothing but well-written and thoughtful arguments on GameFAQs forums. Well, that that ends our review of GameFAQs forums. Will I like bee stings if I'm allergic to bees? That's what that sounds like. (laughs) No, you might. No, I don't think there's much information about what people see as they're dying from bee stings. Maybe you see some amazing stuff. I think you're just being a little silly now. Okay, so we agree that this game is not the best one of the three we've just spoken about. I think Uh, I can immediately agree that you have stated a truism. 
Listen, I yeah. have, I have barely played the Untolds, and I completely agree with that. We have a we have a number of roguelikes that Mister Apps and I could recommend. Yes, if someone is looking for some some decent roguelikes, but this would not be on that list. If I don't, neither like would Pokemon. No, yeah, yeah, no, we can't help you with that new guy. Uh, all right, so, uh, so our so but let's wrap this I up. I will contribute that an awesome remix of a boss tune that the game holds because it does have some nice music. You don't need to play the game to listen to this music, though. I, I mean, here, here's no, the thing. Here's no, the thing don't. for me. This this game was a good idea. Like the idea of mixing Etrian Odyssey and roguelikes. Good idea. Uh, I'm glad they tried, but they failed miserably. <laughs> so I hope they maybe try again someday. <laughs> well, we know I, they are trying again. We're just not getting it. <laughs> I say I, I am of uh, the opinion that if you can deal with mechanics that are going to challenge you, that this would be an okay roguelike. But my God, do not have it as your first roguelike, and certainly no. don't play. Certainly don't play it if you don't like roguelikes, unless you just you know are a complete masochist but i i didn't i didn't hate this one like i've hated some other roguelikes but i i can see why it would frustrate people because it frustrated me to attack i will mention that i have purchased the sequel you have a japanese 3ds right uh yes i do and which which is definitely preferable to modding your 3ds i'm after you yeah and oh, well, it seems about the same as the first one. I can't speak of some of like the DOA mechanics, but it mostly plays like the first game. Cause it, well, it... <laughs> so what you're saying is they did try again, and it's still not good. Yeah, well, they added in more classes, I think. I don't remember. What you're saying is it's one. still not good. Yeah. <laughs> well, if hey, at first I... you don't succeed, try, try to fail again. Adding more classes, because that's the problem. Well, who knows what crazy Japanese players have done to the original that warranted the sequel. These aren't the most... I was actually a little surprised the other day, looking up information for this podcast, how little this series actually sells. Like, I found an article from, I think it was 2018 even, or it might have just been a year ago, where the entire series, worldwide, million copies. Every game in the series? Total. Wow. That's a that's not a lot. The fan base must be small but devoted. Well, they probably don't cost very much to make either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I mean, I get kind of off on a tangent. I, I think one of my concerns as we move to the Switch is the Switch obviously has higher fidelity graphics and the such um, than, than, than the 3DS. And that means more money to put into it. And that means it's harder to get some of those games... You know, because there's a certain graphical expectation. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Monster Hunter with one of my brothers. And I said, you need to play Monster Hunter Generations Ultimates on the Switch. And he takes one look at it. He says, ah, I can't play that. That doesn't look nearly as good as Monster Hunter World. And and this is, uh, you know, I think he's completely, yeah, sure. I get it. The graphics aren't as good. It's a much deeper game. It's a, it's a lot more fun. I can tell you so many things that makes Generation Ultimate better than World. But there's so many people hung up on graphics. So if you're bringing these games to a graph, you know, system like the PlayStation Four or the or the Switch, there's just this expectation, and it 
it means a lot more investment. And I, I do worry about the series in the future. I don't I don't really think that's the case, Phil, because I've seen a few uh, first-person dungeon crawlers on the Switch already that really don't look any better than anything you would have seen on the Vita. Well, yeah, yeah, I get that, yes. but but is is Atlas going to be up for that? Uh, that's I, the that's I, the million I, dollar I th- question. I think so. I mean, I mean, it's one thing when Bob's Crab Shack pops out a Dungeon Crawler three, you know, on the Switch <laughs> yeah. that sells twenty thousand copies that no one, you know, twenty dollars a piece. They don't care, but is did, that going to meet Atlas's expectation? Did, did any of you play Lost Child at all? Yes. That that was pretty much a Etrian clone. Well, I mean, not clone. It was more Shin Megami Tensei. But that was a dungeon crawler that didn't really push a whole lot of polygons. And really, most of it was character portraits and kind of blandish 3D dungeons. That game is super expensive still on PSN. Yeah. Bucks. And I mean... I would imagine that with the anime aesthetic that people aren't really going to, especially Etrian fans, which are going to be its core fan base, isn't really going to be looking for a whole lot of graphical fidelity moving on to the Switch. Uh, look at that, um, what's that other game that came out? Um, uh, the one from Nipponichi. Uh, the Labyrinth Coven yes. of Dusk? Yes. Oh yes, we just reviewed that on the site the other day. Is it Pascal that did that? Yeah, yeah, he was talking about it on uh, RPG Cast that it, it really wasn't his thing, and he's describing all the systems in it, and Anna and I are both like, oh, that sounds like totally our thing. Yeah, I will say, like, I I, res- I respect his opinion, but it's funny, in reading through the text and, and, and not to mention just watching some other reviews, I'm thinking to myself, I'm down with that. Like, I'm a DRPG fan, and I'm like, yeah, I get the, you know, I get some of his frustration stuff, but that's kind of like... What we look for in a DRPG. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, here's a quick question. Here's a question that's more a little bit more on topic, though, as as we try to wrap up here with our you know EO three games here. Um, uh, going to the switch and looking to the future of this series. Um, okay, so let's say they're not so big about the graphics and they're going to keep up with these sounds. I guess one of the other big questions on everyone's mind is what about the 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 whole thing of drawing the maps and stuff? Does that go mm. away? I mean, that seems like such an integral part of the series. What, what does that look like in the future? That's a I, big question. <laughs> I think they can do it. That you can draw on the Switch? Or is it just yeah, like- it does have a touchscreen. It does. It's not a second screen, though, but it does have a touchscreen. I mean, it, but does it have stylus support? No. No. Uh, unless you have one of those foam, foamy indie stylus for touch for, like, smartphones. I know they've already confirmed that they're putting an Etrian Odyssey out on the Switch. There's a graphic out there the background because what else would be in the Yggdrasil but I mean I, they're going to at least make one we'll have to see Mapping's gonna be. I mean I didn't buy Picross on the Switch because I thought that well how am I going to do Picross without a touch screen and then started doing Picross with the D-pad on my 3DS and actually liked it better because I had a little bit more precision control with counting so Maybe you can kind of take that same thing into account with uh, drawing the map, and yeah, it's going to be a little bit more frustrating, but you might get used to it. I mean, they could always take a different approach, too, like say, okay, we're just going to give up on the drawing part, and say, okay, the game auto-maps, but maybe it naturally leaves certain elements out, so you have to, say put notes and stuff in on where things are because those aren't going to be auto-mapped. And so you can kind of get somewhat of the same sort of elements you get from 
drawing maps because I, I think one of the cool things about being forced to draw the map is just the nature of you making mistakes. Yeah. Oh gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've been stuck because I drew a stinking line where it was supposed to be. Persevered one. with making you draw the map. That was that was brilliant. <laughs> but uh, you... I mean, I was gonna say um, uh, to to me that's like a positive, like just forcing you to have to explore carefully and understand that you have to make mistakes and try and uh, figure out where you went wrong. I just yeah, there aren't a lot of games where that's the case. I mean, you, the majority of games these days, it's all auto mapping. It's very hard to get lost or basically make yourself get lost because you've drawn a map incorrectly. I just think it's cool. Uh, or you can be lazy like me and just auto map the whole way, but then, you know, accidentally put a door somewhere you didn't yeah. need to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think if they're going to do it on switch, I, I think, I think they're going to get nothing's nothing with drawing the map is going to work all that great. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a tablet. You can draw it, but what do you, how do you handle when it's in docked mode? And you know how does how is that going to work exactly? Because it's not two screens. So I, I just think they need they should just take the series in a different direction instead of trying to hold on to what it was in 3ds. I, I think there's enough there. I think they've established enough different gameplay mechanics that without the mapping. Yeah, I, I mean without the mapping, it's I still think it's the best first-person dungeon crawler out there because just the the mechanics and the balance and everything are way better than just about everything else i've played i'll talk about it in the uh, final lap but i just i put up a review this week too of what i thought was basically an etriodison clone on steam and it auto mapped and it had they really pulled from etrian odyssey to make the game and is that infinite dungeons yes it was yeah i'm itching to play that (laughs) It, it's it's pretty good. I, I I enjoyed it. And see, to to me, the mapping is just like one small part of it. I I have more fun making characters and seeing what I can do with them and how I can you know come up with build, builds that are broken or come up with builds where I can pretty much get infinite health while I'm exploring or what have you. And to, to me, that's more of what Adrian is. Yeah, and, I think I think if they really like expanded on that and really focused on that they, they the series could go in many different directions and they can add one or two things that can make you forget the mapping yeah after a game or two and i, just, I don't want to in 12 and oh what i forgot i even used the map yeah i i just i don't want to see the series go i love it too much yeah, me too. It's really funny, like, when the first game came out and I bought it, I played it on my DS. Uh, I, I ranted and raved about it. Uh, I loved it because I come from the 80s and playing the uh, the MS-DOS games, which we're going to talk about soon. And, I, you know, back in those days, I had to map everything by hand. When you were going through Dungeon Crawlers back in those, you had no choice. You had to have a piece of paper, graph paper, and you would map out as you went along to get your to figure out your way through those things. So in Etrus' Odyssey came out, like, decades later, and it would allow you to draw the map on the bottom screen. It was so novel. And 
And it just brought me back to those old days and it brought back those memories, but it was so handy. It was right there on the bottom screen. I didn't have to have a piece of paper. I could be on the train or at a friend's house and I could continue to draw these maps as I'm working my way through them. What's interesting is most novel things kind of wear off. You know, we look at we look at these old games through rose-colored glasses and, and if we're all being honest with each other, like most of us aren't sitting back playing games from the 80s because the gameplay doesn't carry over that well. But when it came to Etrian Odyssey games, as I played through four and five and persona q and stuff you know i've had i had someone point out to me like person i think persona q has auto mapping an auto mapping option somewhere i don't know i don't care because i love drawing the map like for me that is part of the core experience and 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 i just i i love the fact that it's there i've gone and played other drpgs of course like on my vita most of those have auto maps. Almost all of them have auto maps because they don't really have a touch screen and they're not actually an Odyssey and they don't have dual screens. So it's, but with a 3DS where you have the bottom screen, you can draw a bottom screen without hitting a pause menu and, and all that other jazz. It's just so seamless and so integral. So I don't know how I'm going to feel when you bring it over to the, the Switch and if you take it away. But if you keep it there, how do you do that? Like you said, if it's in docked mode or, you know, do you make it optional, not optional? I, I, that's a lot of questions. I think it's going to be interesting to see where they go. But I, I think what they don't do is just let it go. I, I think they got it. You know, they will continue the Etrian Odyssey in some way, shape or form you know, into the future. One a year in Japan for 10 years, basically. Yeah. Isn't that? Etrosaurus and X got the X because it was their 10th game. I mean, so. we got nine of them, but... Cool. All right. Well, let's... Uh, so there you guys go. Go out and buy those. Uh, those games, uh, I will tell you, if you're going to buy any of them on Amazon, they're near their original prices <laughs> because they're Atlas games. <laughs> uh, it's like 30, 40 bucks for Etrian Odyssey 2, I'm told, the uh, Fafanuga Knight. Uh, you probably get a little bit less on on eBay, but uh, uh, it's 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 Atlas games, kind of like Nintendo games. They really don't go down in price that, that fast. On the eShop, they go on sale. What seems like once a month. Yeah, and usually yeah, there for usually for like twenty bucks or less. Oh, cool! So we for and of course we got Black Friday coming up, so uh, might be an excellent opportunity to snag some of those at, at a great price. You know, the good ones that we talked about. Or possibly even, you know, pick it, up the Guide to Fate Paradox for your PS3. Even the just bad one, if you're there. into pain. <laughs> if you're into pain. Some I would just say get, get, the guy to Fate, 20 sitting around. get the Guide to Fate Paradox. Yeah. Um, or pick up CHP on Losing Ranger for your PSP. Because everyone's still playing their PSP. Paradox is still my favorite roguelike. I absolutely love that game. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. But while you're wait- while you're either waiting for a sale or you're looking that up, uh, we're going to take another break. Listen, let you listen to some more excellent music uh, from the, the, the games that we mentioned, and we'll be right back with an RPG backtrack.
welcome back. This is the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack, where I talk about um, PC PC games of the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Because I am convinced that the PC is the ultimate retro machine, especially when it comes to RPGs. And as such, in order to demonstrate this, I task myself with playing one of these fine classics about every month. Gotten a little behind because of all that extra work I mentioned before, but uh, I did get some time to play through Curse of the Azure Bonds. This was developed by Strategic Simulations uh, and published by SSI way back in 1989. Came out on a variety of computer platforms, Amiga, Apple II, the Commodore 64, uh, and MS-DOS, which would be your, you know, your PCs, of course. Um, your, your IBM PCs back then. Uh, this is a single-player tactical RPG experience. And as I mentioned with the Pools of Radiance that I discussed a few months back, uh, these Gold Box games do such a great job of building, uh, bringing that desktop experience, a tabletop experience to the computer. I could even argue to this day it is still the best uh, representation of that tabletop experience, at least in terms of how the combat plays out. It is really done well. I, oftentimes when I'm playing a game like Baldur's Gate or Pillars of Eternity or something along those lines, uh, Pathfinder just came out. The Pathfinder Kingmaker computer game just came out. And I was watching a friend play it. And, and everyone who's listened to me knows I'm a huge fan of D&D and Pathfinder. So he asked if I had already bought the video game. And I'm watching him play, and I said no. And I pointed to the screen how he had everything moving around in real time. I said, that's why. It's not turn-based. It's real time. The whole party's moving all at once. And some of those fights, as he showed me himself, some of those fights get really difficult. Uh, so uh, they, they clearly built a lot off of the Pathfinder rule set. If you're playing Pathfinder Keymaker and you're not familiar with the rules of Pathfinder, you're going to have a very difficult time with the game. But I believe it's made artificially much more difficult by the fact that everything is moving around all at once instead of turn-based like you would at the tabletop. But I digress. I'm here to talk about Curse of the Azure Bonds. So this, uh, this, this game is a continuation of Pulls of Radiance. Indeed, you can actually import your party. I did not, but you can import your party from Pools of Radiance, and it does bring apart, uh, uh, continue that, that whole plot thing going on. Uh, again, this is set in the Forgotten Realm series, uh, series, and you're going to go ahead and make your, your, your party of six characters. Uh, it doesn't make the characters for you. Occasionally, a scripted NPC may join to help move the story o- along a little bit. Uh, but at the start of the game, uh, you wake up from, uh, from uh, deep sleep of some sort, and you have none of your items. Very convenient. And this is a plot point, by the way, that comes up as you play these, these games in a series. How many times do you wake up and your items are gone so they can kind of start you over again, at least as, as, term, uh, as far as items go? But your items are gone, and you don't have any sort of memory However, you do have these magical tattoos all over your arm. You got like four or five of them, I believe it's five. But uh, they're 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 each one represents a different uh, deity or god or whatnot. And right at the beginning, as you walk out into town, the bonds kind of take over your body and force you to fight the guards uh, there in that town, uh, which kind of sets uh, sets some things into motion. 
Um, eventually, you'll find yourself hunting down the factions of each of these deities that, in in a way, have control over you. It's almost like they have like stock taken out in your company, and they have a voting right. But uh, you'll hunt these guys down one at a time to remove uh, these bonds. You'll go all over the place to do it. Uh, so at one point, uh, you'll fight uh, the leader of the cult of Moander. And uh, when you go there, lots of their priests and stuff are protecting this big, huge area that you get to work your way through. Lots of fights. Uh, they, they have a number of shambling mounds, which are rather difficult uh, to fight. And knowing your tactics, knowing your, your character classes, what their strengths and weaknesses are, knowing how shambling mounds may be affected by different spells uh, can really, really help. You can either look this stuff up or you can do trial and error. Uh, it is a tough game. There was a number of times that I died uh, and I would just reload. I don't like having death in, in, in Curse of the Azure Bonds or any of these Forgotten Realms games because... If you go to a priest and resurrect, you lose a point of constitution permanently, if I'm not mistaken. Not to mention there'd be that long trip back, the money you have to pay. So it's just generally faster just to save often and quickly reload. Generally speaking, you can save just about anywhere, uh, as long as you're not actually in the middle of a fight. It's actually the best magic spell in the game is the save spell. Uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, having a good, well-rounded party, uh, using good tactics. I can't tell you how many times I was in a tough fight and just keeping my fighters in the front, block it off, uh, people from getting past them, using attacks of opportunity, uh, help to save the day, using the right spell at the right time, managing your resources. All of that is really in here. And this is a game that was made before 1990. It was so, so deep. Eventually, after you do the, after you do the, you get the four bonds taken care of, uh, you have to uh, fight um, the the last guy. I, mm, yeah, we spoil things here. Uh, it's a 55-year-old game. Who cares? Uh, but uh, Terran Thraxus, who was in the first one, and uh, yeah, you get to go fight him. And after you beat him, the game the game ends. Uh, but it's a tough fight. It's a tough to get to him. And lots of loading for me, r- running back, getting some more supplies, uh, getting some more scrolls, and creating a, a kick-butt army uh, of, of a party, I should say, was was a lot of fun. There, This is old school. There was one frustration I had in that I thought I had taken care of the four main generals, and I was trying to get to Terranthraxis, but I couldn't even get to that area on the map. So uh, I got a little frustrated because I couldn't figure out what I had done. And uh, there was, um, I guess there was a place where I didn't save and reload properly and didn't pick up an item, a key item. And nowhere, what made this, what made this hard for me to figure out was it had to do with the, with the Cult of Moander that I mentioned earlier. I thought I had beat them. I remember the fights. I went through it all. But I think somewhere I screwed up my save, uh, save file. I think I swapped out save files because I, I normally will have like four or five different save files. I'll have one outside the dungeons, you know, first floor of the dungeon, second floor of the dungeon. I think somewhere I got myself confused. So I didn't know. I just know the game wouldn't let me get to the big boss. And according to, you know, the guides, I needed to have these four items. Nowhere does it tell you which of the four items you have already picked up. There, It's not in your inventory or anything along those lines. So there was no way for me to visually confirm that I really, in that particular save file, I really had never taken care 
of the guy, you know, the cult of Moander. So I had to basically go to a number of different areas of the other cults before I went to Moander and all those monsters and the bosses were still there, which that's where the light bulb turned on and go, oh, I must have screwed up and done something with my save file. Went through, took care of them again real fast and got the item and boom, big, you know, big boss thing shows up. One of the cool things, uh, I, I'm always a big fan of GOG, as you guys know. I bought this game as part of a collection, uh, the Forgotten Realms collection, off of GOG.com. And they give you all the extras, uh, including the journals, which you absolutely have to have. There's a lot of go and read this journal XYZ. But also it comes with the hint book. And uh, that was key for me helping to get through the game. And I found the hint book to be much more satisfying to use. Uh, than the uh, than an FAQ. It's just better laid out than a text FAQ. Has uh, drawings and maps on it that that are easy to, to easier to read than an FAQ. And uh, and and it, I don't think it gives away too much information. You still have to do some searching and some thinking through that. It doesn't completely take you through step by step, but it'll certainly help you. I'm, one of the things I've mentioned, we were since we've been talking about Etrian Odyssey today, and we're talking about dun- drawing dungeon maps, I mentioned earlier in old games you have to draw maps. This is one of those games. There is sort of like an auto map function. Well, when you walk into most towns, you can see a map in the corner. It's already drawn out. But there's a lot of dungeons and areas where the map is disabled. So, And some of those dungeons are rather... Uh, complicated. It's amazing. I think I think the dungeon sizes are like 16 by 16 squares. It's amazing what they can do with 16 by 16. I think that's 256, but it's, it's amazing what they can do with that many squares. Makes them pretty convoluted things for you to find your way around. So drawing those on graph paper as you went along was was very helpful in trying to figure out how where you had been and how to get to the end. And getting through, uh, and getting through this using the hint guide, though the maps are right there, beautifully, you know, drawn out, and uh, you know, by by taking a look where where the nearest doors and hallways are at, you can kind of get a bearing of where you're at in the map, and then figure out where you need to go from there. Furthermore, using that map in some of the more complicated big dungeons will help you to avoid some unnecessary uh, combats, especially if you're trying to conserve resources. So the maps are super, super, super helpful. There was a little bit of grinding I had to do uh, because I like to uh, dual class uh, my humans uh, on the occasion. So if you're creating an elf or a dwarf, they can do two classes at the same time, though they do have their class limits. So you have to read the instruction book very carefully. Humans, on the other hand, can only do one class at a time. Once you get to like a certain level, so I take my my rogues up, or um, I take my people that are going to be rogues up to like seventh level. I start them off as a fighter, get up to seventh level because at seventh level they get an extra attack every other round. Plus, by starting as a fighter, you can give them higher strength than they could if they started as a rogue. Then you change them to rogue. It doesn't lower their strength, and um, once they get back up to seventh or eighth level in rogue. Then they get their fighter abilities back, including the extra attack every other round. Having a rogue who can backstab twice on the uh, odd number rounds, very powerful, very satisfying. I just had my rogue uh, going through and backstabbing everybody, and it it really helped out with some of the boss fights where you really need that burst damage on the BBEG. So that's one of the really, really awesome things about these games. Just, you know, thinking through things really, really paid off. It was something when I later on I played Final Fantasy One and Final Fantasy Four. 
And in a way, those games just felt so boring to me because this game had so much tactics and strategy years before. And then you play Final Fantasy 1 or Final Fantasy 4 where you just have your characters on one side of the screen, pick some spells, attack, attack, heal. It, it just kind of fell flat. Now, not to say I don't like those games. I do love those games. But I love them for different reasons now that, uh, now that I'm older, a bit more mature. And... Uh, and uh, one day we'll talk about Final Fantasy VI, which, uh, even though it's it's still not a tactical experience, uh, it is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, RPG of all times. But we'll talk about that. It's a different subject. But uh, Curse of the Azure Bonds, uh, uh, on the gameplay side, also was a step up from, from Pools of Radiance. One of the big, big things, quality of life additions they had to this game, is the ability to use the fixed command. The fixed command just basically uses all of your available healing spells to heal your party, so you could uh, fix and then rest and then fix and then rest, and and actually no no I'm sorry fix would actually rest for you and then heal the party. I think it would keep resting and, fi- and healing for you. Regardless, the whole point is it makes healing so much easier. In Pools of Radiance, as I mentioned before, I kind of gave up on the game eventually. I did not complete it uh, when I played it a few months ago. And probably one of the big reasons why was because I was so tired of healing people one spell at a time. Healing spells in early editions of D&D were very weak uh, when you got up past the first level. Because the first level healing spells would only heal like 5 points on the average. And when you only have 10 hit points, that's fine. But by tw- second, third, fourth level, you're getting double, triple, quadruple those hit points. Uh, but your healing spells are not doubling and quadrupling. Cure serious wounds. You get that at 7th level, and it finally does double the, the healing. For a 4th level spell, it does double the healing of the 1st level spell. And by that point, you have 70-some hit points, so it's healing for 10. It's just, it's sad. Uh, so, uh, you know, you're not bringing your clerics into battle to uh, heal your people um, for the most part. Now, later on, and we'll talk about this when I do play uh, the later games, uh, there is a there is a, a spell you get eleventh level that that does you know change this and, and help this out tremendously this problem out. But until then, with Curse of the Azurbonds, healing combat's not really viable. But out of combat, being able when you can rest for long periods of time, your clerics can heal, rest, heal, get more, get their spells back, and and heal again. The fixed command automates that whole process rather than going through and picking one five hit point healing spell at a time and putting on a character. That is very, very nice. There's a couple of other minor uh, things that kind of escape me at the moment, but it was just a it was just a smoother gameplay experience uh, because of those quality of life improvements. Uh, overall, I mean, if you're a fan of tactical games and you don't mind diving into instruction books because these games in the 80s did not have tooltips, uh, I can definitely recommend Curse of the Azurbonds, definitely or Pools of Radiance. And this does feed into the next game in the series, which is Secret of the Silver Blades, uh, which I intend to play uh, probably in January. Uh, and then at that point, I'll, I'll give you guys more of an update. If you're following our website, I'll do a write-up on, on this as well, uh, as well as the other PC games I'm playing. My next game up for our sidetrack uh, that I'm planning to play is Wasteland 2. So if you want to join along with me, you can get started on that now. And I'll talk about that on episode... I plan to talk about it on episode 198. So you've got uh, at least a month, if not six to eight weeks, uh, to dive into that. Uh, and let me know what you think. You can always leave your comments on our latest show there on the website. But that's uh, that's my wrap-up there for Curse of the Azure Bonds. Uh, we're going to take a, another break, and we'll be right back to wrap this up with the final app. 
final lap where we kind of read your comments all of two of them both of them having to do with my loud typing and (laughs) and and as i said at the beginning of the show humble apologies i hopefully that is not a thing this time i still did a lot of time because i type while you got while our other people are talking i'm oftentimes looking up urls or i'm typing down some notes or uh responding to messages that i'm getting so uh, hopefully that's not a thing this time because I used the mute on my mic the entire time rather than uh, I, I didn't use the Discord mute at all. Anywho, uh, those were the two comments I got. You can leave your comments at rpgamer.com. Uh, when you go over to the podcast section and you look up the most recent podcast, that's where you want to leave your comments. Even if you're listening to an old podcast and you want to leave comments about episode 102, you want to do that on the most recent podcast that we have up there because that's the only comments I read. Alternatively, you can shoot me off a tweet um, at JC Servant. I do read those, and that was how one of the complaints came in. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. I really do. I'm not saying that sarcastically. If we do something stupid like that, please call me out on it or call us out on it so that I can learn from it. Because it's not my intention that you're having to drive down the road with your surround sound listening to us talk about games and all of a sudden, machine gun typing. That I like how someone wrote on there, one of the comments was, holy cow, I don't know who is typing, but boy, do they type fast. Yes, I do type 65 words a minute. So, yeah, good times. Uh, let's do. Well, there, actually, there actually was one comment on the site's main page, or from Ombres. I think I, I think I got I got up to there was a lot of typing, and I think okay. it ended up becoming a, a takeaway. But what else did you see there, Mister Mike? Oh, he just liked to chime in that it was a great one as always. It's nice to. Look. I think that got cut out a bit because Discord decided that the internet was functioning too well and wanted to give me a hiccup to have trouble understanding you. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, let's do... Oh, you said you already know what the next episode is going to be about for once. What's it going to be about, Mike? It's going to be about Pillars of Eternity. Ooh, sweet. Especially given the recent news about In Exile. It's very oh, timely. We have, we have another Pillars... We have a Pillars of Eternity 2 already. Mm. I guess it's so, well. I think you mean MS In Exile? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh um. Oh Tangentially gosh. related to our last episode, I find it funny that like shortly after that happened, Undertale got a uh, 
oh, yeah. somewhat of a sequel. Chapter one, right? Of what is it again? Something Rune or Yeah, Delta Rune. Um the Toby Fox released it on Halloween after some uh teasing and it's basically like a playable playable proof of concept that uh, he said that he's working on it, but that he might have to hire a team because that one little playable demo took like three years to complete by himself, well, with him and uh, Timmy Chang. And yeah, it it was certainly exciting, and the demo takes about I want to say like two, three hours to get through. Hmm. Interesting. I've had my Undertale fan students like telling me all the time, play this, play this, play this. They all went home and have played it three or four times now. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting little uh, side story. I can't wait to see what he comes up with, and I, I certainly hope that he does hire a staff so he could get it out sooner, and that people don't harass him to get it out sooner, because that would be bad. But I, I just thought that that was neat that that kind of happened like right after we released our Undertale, up, or talked about Undertale. Well, let's uh, let's do our round table and let's start uh, with new guy. Okay, so uh, like I mentioned before, kind of timely here. Um, I just finished up and got a review up for Infinite Adventures. Um, it's out for Xbox, PS4. I played it on Steam. You don't get about five minutes into it, and all you think of is, "Oh, this is a Train Odyssey." Um, it's a developed by a new company from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, The background graphics I thought were awesome. The character art and the monster art, it's still a little bit, uh, you can tell it's an indie studio. They're getting there. They, uh, I found it a little bit funny that, you know, they even tried for a little bit of fan service in some of their pictures and it just, it it, it didn't even come off that. It was just like, you got a little ways to go, whether you want to go one way or the other here. Um, Fan service-y enough and it was in there like four times in the entire game. So I'm like, are you trying to be this kind of game? Are you trying to go idea factory or are you not? Um, Overall, the story was great. It went back thousands of years in the game world and really set up the whole thing. You were, um, you had a reason to keep going back into the dungeon and they took so many mechanics from Etrian Odyssey. There weren't stratums, but there really were every four floors had the big super boss um, were there FOEs? Uh, they were called yokai. No, they were <laughs> they were yokai. That totally makes the them fish. not FOEs. Totally makes them not FOEs, and they were big glowing balls that didn't move. Back to the original, what is it? Uh, Etrian one, two, and three. When you couldn't actually see what the uh, FOE was, it was just that big glowing ball that looked like the sun. Well, they had a big glowing ball that maybe looked like a star and it didn't move it had a difficulty slider oh no difficulty you had to pick at the beginning it had an encounter rate slider which was uh that but after a while sometimes just walking through the dungeon i was like okay i'm I'm over random encounters for now i feel a little bit uh i I was doing this for review so i kind of wanted to get through some of the floors um the floors were not fleshed out as much as they were in etrian odyssey um if it's if the map is 60 wide by 40 tall or something like that, every one of those blocks is pretty much something. It may be water, it may be something else, but unless there's a reason to have it be smaller, some of the floors are, it's usually every tile is something. This one wasn't. It had a lot of corridors. Um, by the time you finished a floor, 
maybe a half or a third of the tiles total that they could have fleshed out were there. Um, had some neat mechanics where, just like Etrian Odyssey, there were hidden pass ha- ha- hidden passage, but you could actually level up certain party skills. So as you were walking around, that wall would like glow. You'd be walking by and like, holy crap, why is this wall glowing? You turn towards it. Oh, I can go through here. Um, they had other two uh, in the Etrian Odyssey games. There's always that you get to floor 12 and you can go back to floor two finally because you haven't explored floor two because it's behind this locked door that you don't get the key until 30 hours later. They had stuff like that too. They had doors that were uh, certain ranks and you had to pay to rank up your party to get through those doors. And I, I've, one of the biggest failures of the game I wrote about was the infinite adventure. Infinite part was just bad. Um, every time you finished a stratum, you'd get a portal that would take you to a randomly generated location that you could just walk around. Well, these randomly generated locations were basically two and three tile rooms that you had to keep opening doors to go to other rooms. So it didn't flow. It wasn't like I could just keep walking around here. No, it was like move two spaces, open a door, move two spaces, open a door. And these, unfortunately, did fill in every tile. So you'd be in a 20 by 30 tile dungeon. So 600 tiles, maybe 100 different rooms. And out of those hundred different rooms, yeah, you'd maybe get two or three treasure chests. Two or three treasure chests weren't worth it. I, lo- I saw that in review or something like, come for the adventure, not for the infinite or something like that. Skip the infinite, stay focused on the adventure. Yeah, that was I, funny. You know, it. I, I tried to keep playing off the infinite stuff uh, throughout it because they keep touting it. It's like, enjoy infinite numbers of uh, procedurally generated dungeons. Well, the procedurally generated dungeons sucked. The other ones were okay. You know, they, it was a great early entry by a new group, and, you know, they they did play off a lot, and they said that they were inspired by Wizardry and um, by Etrian Odyssey, and it was pretty neat, the character creation at the beginning, Phil, I think you would like, because you pick your person, you pick your race, and different races were better at certain classes, or if they could only open certain classes and then humans could do everything, but they had dwarves, they had elves, um, they had maybe one or two others, and what re- and I it, well it was neat I didn't really get what it it could you could pick what region of the world they came from northern elf and here's a little backstory about northern elves you yeah. got to pick then you were either nobility or a common person nobility got extra class points common people got extra or maybe it was the other way around one of them got extra um class points to put in towards your skills skill points for your skills the others got increases to base stats so you got to pick whether you're nobility or um um you started with a rank that you could get items throughout and rank your character up um and that increased their base set their base skills and i think amount of skill point pool um Interestingly enough, throughout the game, you actually got access to some of the NPCs. They would join you. At one point, halfway through the game, I was really not liking one of the characters I made. I was like, man, this damage output is just not in line with everybody else. It's just not. It was the archer class, and I just didn't like the archer class. I couldn't get. I mean, I was going through all these different skill trees and, you know, playing it before anything was out. There was no one to ask for help. Like, hey, there's no FAQ or way to post and be like, hey, anybody got a better skill tree here that I could be going for this? So at one point in the game, all of a sudden, I'm available. And I was like, wow, great. Subbed them in. It was wonderful. Um, at another point, um, Ember joined. 
and they were the same class as somebody I had, but being a higher rank, all their base stats were higher. Hey, you know, random person I had for the past uh, 12 hours, goodbye, I'm going to just sub in this person. And uh, there were a couple choices that you had to make near the end. Um, at the end of the second to last stratum and then in the, at the end of the game, that uh, affected kind of life or death. And uh, it happened to me, at least. And uh, actually, like, the physics of the game, there was a choice right at the end, which was kind of weird and didn't affect anything because it was, hey, the end. But uh, it, it added to the game more. It was something that they talked about the whole way through and one of the reasons why you were doing this and years of this infinite labyrinth had been there and not really available to them and what it could do. So, I mean, I gave it a 3.5. I thought it was border. If, if you like DRPGs, it's definitely like that four for you. Um, the graphics aren't quite there. Gameplay mechanics are a little bit inventory. Inventory management was a little rough, but Hey Mike, they are Mike Menke. They don't have a 60 item limit. I, uh, <laughs> found myself going for about two hours one day and was like, oh crap, I haven't been back to town in a while. Just been healing, there were some healing spots in the dungeon, and I went back, and man, I suddenly had a couple hundred thousand dollars to spend, so. But, and, uh, reviewed that, and I'm on to my next game, where I'm, uh, flailing my arms and legs around by the light of a celestial body. So, we'll see how that goes. I'll leave it at that. Sweet. Check out the full text review of from New Guy over at rpgamer.com. That's his official thing, by the way. You'll see it right at the top. So, new guy. Totally. It does. Buy a new guy. And, yeah, I think it's... I'm really glad that you reviewed this and and looked at this, because I think it's important to recognize and support. I'm I'm personally a big fan of supporting uh, indie indie developers uh, that do good jobs, especially when it comes to turn-based games and DRPGs, because we don't... We don't get a lot of those from the AAA guys anymore, so... No. <laughs> no, it's not a thing. So we need to support uh, our smaller guys if we want to continue to see good quality games. And I'm, 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 I'm not out there supporting the guys who are in their basement making something quickly out of our uh, RPG Maker. Uh, but when you see something like this that's pretty well done, uh, it, it's important, I think, to, to, to support them. It was uh, fully voiced, too, and pretty wow. good at that. I mean... This was it was a 30 40 hour adventure and every side quest everything was voiced. I'm going to go buy my copyright do my part to uh let's see let's go to not new girl. Oh, you confused me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um a real life pokemon, I've got a new kitten around my house that I've been a meowth. Uh, yes, <laughs> a, a brand new meowth. I don't know, maybe she's more of a Witten because she's kind of a firebrand. She, her name is Nami, and we got her about, I want to say two weeks ago. And she is a little firebrand. She is not afraid to let you know what she thinks. <laughs> Just tonight, she was getting ready to drink out of my water glass, and I had to tell her no. And she just gave me this look like, you did not just tell me no, mama. And... It's been fun watching the kitten slowly kind of integrate with my five other cats and learn that my five other cats are not big scary monsters. Um, that's been the, the the major change in my life. I'm happy to have adopted her. Um, very big proponent of uh, adopting pets and from the humane local humane societies and stuff like that and that's what we did um other than that i've been on a bit of a castlevania kick the past two weeks 
because I played through that um, re-release of Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night that came out and got sucked into watching season two of the Netflix series, which is amazing. And um, it's funny they were talking about Dawn of Sorrow because I've been playing through that again. And man, old school DS games. How fun. (laughs) Nothing like getting a boss down and we're like, oh, crap, I need to get my stylus down. How did that run again? Oh, and it's up again. Lovely. But um, I I thought I wasn't going to like that uh, version of Symphony of the Night that they put on the PSN store because it's the PSP version, which they cut. They they changed the original voice acting, so no more What is a Man. And they kind of did some tweaks to how the spell system works and at that. And I remember not liking that on the PSP version. But I got to say, it was fun playing through it again, even with all the changes that they made. I don't know if you guys are Castlevania fans or not. Yes. It still doesn't include the stuff from the Saturn version of Symphony of the Night. No, it does not. Which is the version that I have played. I really like that version. And I thought it did have Maria mode. If it did, I can't remember. I know that Ron... I saw a picture of somebody playing Maria mode. Well, it doesn't have the castle gardens and the catacombs, which, or are you fighting Maria? Yeah, you do fight her. I know that. Hmm. But whether or not you play as her, I don't know. I didn't get that far. I just fi- finished the game. Um, I know that Maria mode is pretty much the only way to beat Rondo of Blood without wanting to throw your controller through the TV, since um, Maria actually controls worth a damn compared to Richter. I gather that's the way you get your old school Castlevania. Control like a ton of bricks. Yeah, it it took me an hour and a half to beat Dracula using Richter. Um, Maria, I did it like on the first two tries. And Rondo of Blood at the very least. But um, yeah, I'm hoping this kind of renewed interest in Castlevania via that re-release and... um, the Netflix series maybe gets Konami off their butts to perhaps make a new Metroidvania style Castlevania for one of the systems. Cause <laughs> yeah. Uh. That, that laugh speaks, speaks volumes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, if Capcom could get off their butt and make a new Mega Man. Yeah, but Capcom is still making games. Are you trying to say that Konami isn't making games anymore? What about those wonderful pachinko games? (laughs) I thought that they did that new Bomberman. I guess. Who owns Bomberman now? I thought that was a Hudson thing. Yeah, and Konami owns Hudson. Okay. I can't keep track of all... I suppose I could keep track of all the mergers, but I just haven't. (laughs) Yeah. But that's wishful thinking. Other than that... Dating this episode. Might as well ask for a new sweet code. Hey, at, at least I'm not bitter about Diablo Immortal. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, she went there. Oh, well played. Hey, I, I'm not bitter about it because I have a feeling that that's just going to be there to tide us over until Diablo Four. I'm actually excited. I'd love to have a Diablo I can play in my lunch break. I want to give it a fair shake. Um, I know that it's being outsourced by a Chinese company, but supposedly that company makes pretty decent games anyway and has done a lot of Blizzard's mobile stuff, so I want to try it. 
Um, I'll be curious what the pay-to-win gimmick is in it, or if it's going to be like uh, Path of Exile, where it's all going to be cosmetic. Yeah, we'll have to see. But, but I mean, Blizzard is obsessed with quality, so I I, I feel like they're not going to put out something that's below their standards. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just think that they shouldn't have announced that at BlizzCon. That should have been a no. PAX. Yeah, the 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 uh, announcement was misguided for sure. Yeah, went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that that was bad timing on their part. But um, other than that, dating this episode a little bit, I am looking forward to Pokemon Let's Go in a couple of days. That's going to be my big winter game until Christmas. Fair enough. What about uh, other not new guy? Bet you apps. Oh, that's me. Um, so speaking of Diablo, uh, I have had trouble um, finding the time to play things that aren't Diablo three on the Switch, uh, which is interesting because the game never really grabbed me on PC or PS four or PS three. But for some reason, being able to play it while watching TV or um, playing Hearthstone is uh, the perfect way to play the game for me. So, uh, Well, playing a Blizzard game while you're playing a Blizzard game, that's, that's hardcore. Du- <laughs> double Blizzard. Uh, so yeah, I've been playing a ton of that, which has slightly cut into my Monster Hunter time, but uh, I don't nothing... think it can cut too far or else Phil will come after you. No, nothing can completely cut into my Monster Hunter time, but uh, at some point I would like to actually work on some sort of review for the game since uh, we haven't had a review of this one or the original release of Monster Hunter Generations, so uh, definitely going to be working on that. Um, Other than that, I've been distracted by a lot of Xbox One backwards compatibility releases. Uh, Last week was the Castlevania Lords of Shadow games. And this week it's the Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy, so I guess that's What can I do for you? A whole bunch of games people hate you. Wrong game, Phil. Yeah, completely wrong game. So are are you gonna try and play all three of them in a week? No. No. I don't need to play one of them. <laughs> uh, the the so middle one? The middle <laughs> one, yes. But we know you love thirteen too. I am actually going to replay thirteen two. I'm going to give it and give it another shot because I do love the soundtrack, and that can always get me through the parts I don't like. I, I I love the gameplay of that one. I thought the gameplay was fun. It's just the story that was a big confused mess. Uh, speaking of bad story, I'm going to be streaming some Lightning Returns at some point, skipping as much of the story as possible, and just focusing on the crazy gameplay. Um. And, oh, I also had an impression of uh, Dark Souls for Switch up recently, um, which nobody commented on, so I don't know if anyone actually read it. But uh, the gist is basically it's the best version of Dark Souls 1. I just wish they had done more, I guess is an unrealistic expectation. But, uh, hey, um, the remaster of Dark Souls 2 kind of spoiled me, I guess. Um, and that's about it for me. Oh, and um, Q&A Quest is quickly approaching episode 100. Um, we're going to do something to celebrate that, I guess. Um, 
probably something involving the saga. <laughs> not Monster Hunter? Not Mon- I am the only uh, only of the tree of hosts on Q&A Quest that likes Monster Hunter, so... I know Phil has occasionally guested on it. He has. He has. What can I do I for you? I guess if you do it at a time, I could record, then we could uh, do something Shining, but eh, that, that might be difficult. Yeah, could see. Um, could always record multiple segments or something. Uh, I was also thinking of like digging up some old uh, Q and A from back in the day and like re-answering some of those old questions or something like that. Be I think if you do that, you will have a very long episode. <laughs> That's true. That was back when I, once upon a time, was able to generate questions that were more frequent than the ones I sent to you. <laughs> oh, I have to dig up some of those. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're in there. They're yeah. in the archives. And you, sir, made me visit IMDb more than I have ever visited IMDb. IMDb is an incredibly useful resource. Yes. That's where you go when you're watching a TV show and you're like, oh my god, where else did I see this guy? Yep. That is oh, it's, it's Richard Jenkins! Where else has he been? He's been in a lot of stuff. Wow. Go Richard Jenkins, we like you. Everybody's been in a lot of stuff. It's ridiculous. You click on that, you're like, holy crap. None of which I've ever Not heard. everybody. I'll have you know that Deathbed, the bed that eats, features people who have been in nothing else ever. That's not surprising. Fun fact. And it's made by a director who never directed anything else, ever. Here's a fun fact. You can find me on IMDb. (laughs) Uh, My friend was a film student, so I'm in one of his things. I don't know how he got it on IMDb, but whatever. Well, isn't IMDb IMDb mostly user-run? I don't know. I think I think there are some actual staffers. Uh, some of the people who keep coming up with new fascinating features, like star siblings, famous brothers and sisters. Do you know your <laughs> Skarsgård brothers? Oh, man. See more star siblings. You're reminding me about how my husband can't tell the difference between Bo and Jeff Bridges. Well, one of them was in The Wizard, and the other in Crazy Heart. There. <laughs> That that's the difference. That's the only difference. It's the only one that matters. Well, how about you, Mister Miki? What's new with you? Oh, let's see here. You know, when we recorded our last episode, I had started playing some Fall Ultimate, and since we recorded that episode, I completed it and reviewed it for the site. But I have to document my completion of it because it was so strange. I got to. What I only now know is the final mission. And it seemed to glitch a bit. The guy who you get, assigns you all of your missions suddenly doesn't say anything intelligible, and you and you just get to go to a new mission where the map that is displayed is of the previous mission, showing all of the goals of that previous mission completed, which is confusing. So I thought, did, I, did something go wrong here? What the hell is this? I restarted the game with a different type of character. Fortunately, this is a very good game. Played through this again, got to the same point, encountered the same freaking glitch where suddenly the guy says absolutely nothing, go, and you see the same map again, even though it's for the previous mission. And 
I'm imagining there was some interesting text to go along with the part where I have to escort a gigantic tank as it crashes through things and kill everything in its path. But no, there was there was none in the actual game that I played. And then once you escort your tank along, you get to the final boss, which maybe there's a legit way to beat it. But I just took the super cheap method of you have automatic health regeneration if you wait a while in this game. So I shoot a few spells at it from a corner because it's doing its attack pattern where it slams down. But it's doing it over and over and over again, even though it can't hit me yet. So I will wait in a corner, hit it a few times, then run to the other side of the screen and wait for it to come over and slam the ground some more. It took me about 20, 25 minutes to kill it that way. I don't regret it because I tried to kill it legit and I couldn't find a way to do it without getting to shreds, so whatever. And then I beat it. And then it told me, oh, you can play much more of the game if you go into endless mode, or I think it's called endless mode, where you just get to go through a series of rooms one after another and kill things, and go kill more things, and kill, and kill, and kill, and kill until you either get killed or you stop. But I didn't do that, because I'd had enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's Moonfall Ultimate. As you can tell, I give it nothing but the most glowing of recommendations for everyone. Nice. Other, That's right. I finally stopped playing Rainbow Skies. Wow. Wow. Oh. And it happened at, what was I, about hour 5.35, 5.40, and suddenly the game stopped going. It had an error. And I had saved relatively recently, but the thing had performed flawlessly for all 505 or whatever hours playing it, and suddenly it had an error, and I hadn't. I just said, all right, that that's it. I'm you, done. You blew it up, Mike. That was you, your sign. You, you played. You played so long. You couldn't handle. <laughs> you couldn't handle it anymore. You beat the game in a in a non traditional way. I must have. You know, I can't. Re- I can't even say that the game has. When I played it for well over five hundred hours. You just didn't and then <laughs> th- then I poked around on my Vita, seeing what. I- I tried playing the original Strider because I had thought that I had bought Strider bought Strider two, except it started up as Strider. I'm not sure why that happened. And I discovered that if you haven't grown up with it, the original Strider is definitely something that you have to get accustomed to. It's a fun game, kind of, if you can get accustomed to the almost Castlevania ish jumping physics. <laughs> And then I tried out the third birthday, which nice. has why? Uh, because I played the first two Parasite Eves and I figured out uh, that's fair. See what this is like, and I can kind of see how the mechanics are fun a little bit, but ye old PSP and its lack of a second analog stick does kind of annoy when I'm trying to run away and I need to know that I'm not about to be hit by something and I can't be can't tilt the camera. Um, yeah, and then there's the stupid story, which is, of course, Tetsuya Nomura, so it's got endless crazy crap, and I'm trying to figure out, you know what, no, I I don't want to go into that right now. It makes no sense, and I just didn't care enough. And I've been playing Pillars of Eternity, because we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. I haven't gotten terribly far, but it's mostly because I like to poke around, see everything I can. I like exploring maps and, and finding things just around the place and I've already gotten killed a couple of times because I apparently was too energetic in attempting to tackle some challenges. And then Alex 
had to poke around and offer some more steam code. Played some of this thing called Sacred Earth Promise, which you, is you are tally- going deep down the steam hole here, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying to make up for lost time. I hadn't played Steam in a while. <laughs> Sacred Earth Promise is touted as being a visual novel and a tactical RPG. Well, I'm not sure how accurate that is. Because, yeah, we've got long conversational sequences, but you go through dungeons, and it's not a tactical RPG. And somebody didn't program controller support into this thing, which is really annoying that I'm getting oh. It doesn't have mouse support either. That's stupid. <laughs> what? No, the mouse does Speaking nothing. Their sacred promise. Y- yeah, I clicked on things with the mouse, and nothing happened. <laughs> I had to hit the enter key. That just seems counterintuitive. And I'm sure I'll finish it fairly soon because it doesn't appear to be a very long game. But the I'm only in the third dungeon, which might be the last. But these things are kind of boring because. They, they're structured like a board game. You have a bunch of tiles that you can move left, right, or up, down to find. It'll be either be a battle, an item, an obstacle where you get to roll imaginary dice and escape it, or a quick conversational scene. And then you get to keep on to another battle or another... And there are a lot of them. And the battles are not bad, but for something that builds itself as a tactical game, it, you would think that it might include such information on enemies that you their weaknesses or what they can do and instead it doesn't include anything like that and you're just supposed to remember it which for something of this sort which is being built as story first then why the hell would it expect you to remember that so yeah you can look forward to review from on that pretty soon i just have to summon the gumption to finish it which i gather there's a fair amount left of this dungeon to get through and that's it's honestly kind of boring to get through to go through several fights in a row. No, I don't want to go into too much detail on that thing right now. Anyway, that's what I've been playing lately. It's a bit more variety than usual. Oh yeah, and I played Knights of the Round on the Capcom arcade beat 'em up collection, and discovered that it's not a very good Capcom beat 'em up <laughs> because it's it's really boring. Look at out! People pumped quarters into that. What else can I call a game where you can jump on and the horse loses the ability to turn so that you have to attack in the direction the horse... Who came up with that? You know, maybe somebody smart. Maybe. It's it's a freaking beat-em-up. I expect to be able to turn around. Also, the music was kind of dull and and unmemorable. And Look, beat-em-ups got to be pretty crazy for a while there. This is not one... It's kind of bland. But that's what I've been playing lately. And the new Halloween is solid, which I realized I could have. I actually I couldn't have talked about that because it hadn't come out when we last did a recording. So there. (laughs) All right. You're up, Phil. Well, I had a lot of work at work. Um, and so what that generally means is I get home, I'm super tired and much as I love RPGs, but I'm, my, my job is mentally taxing. And so I really, you know, when I'm that tired, I don't feel like doing a whole lot of RPGs, <laughs> uh, because they can be pretty deep as well. And you got to keep it with storylines and characters. So I've been, you know, for the last month or two, uh, I've been playing a lot of Dynasty West. Guilty pleasure. 
Uh, I've also been playing some Monster Hunter because that's not too bad as far as the thingy category goes. So, so pushing through all Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, we talk about that over, you know, at the hunt. Uh, lately, been catching up on some of the fetch quests on three star, but I've also been knocking out some of the five star quests there. But yeah, on the Warriors Gates, play Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors on my Vita, which that Samurai Warriors uh, Four is on your v- is on my Vita. Have Samurai Warriors Four Two on the PlayStation Four. Got um, Warriors Orochi Three. Got Warriors Orochi Four that just came out. Uh, really enjoying like all of them. I just it's one of those things. Like some people love them, some people don't. I'm one of the people who love them because it's just it's mindless killing and leveling up, and there's some storyline in between. But I'm never sitting there asking myself which NPC do I have to talk to next. Let me go find an FAQ so I can find out where I gotta go and take this magical chandelier or something. It's just you sit down and you jump in, and as soon as you hit start uh, and you pick your map, you're immediately in a fight. there's no pretense of like, okay, you gotta go talk to these NPCs first. And then there's some story bits in the middle, which I like, because it's a three-peat, and it's over-dramatized and such. Um, But but it's straightforward. It's like, fight a bunch of stuff, get your storyline. Fight some more stuff, get your storyline. And when I'm super tired and stressed, that that works. Um, The good news is, I'm getting into a slow season now, so I can get to dive back into some more traditional games. Sounds like a great stress relief game. Yeah, it's just beaten. I love all of the the, the Musou games and their shoot-offs, like the Dragon Quest uh, Heroes games, super fun. Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Warriors is still the best. I will say I love them all, but if someone was to say to me, what's you know what's what's one Musou game you would recommend, it'd be Hyrule Warriors on the Switch. If you're only limited to PS4 uh, and you don't have a Switch, then it, it's really kind of a toss up right now. I like I love a Warriors Orochi Four. They've really have you know they just keep tweaking the gameplay just a little bit, and it's just super fun there. Uh, but Warriors Orochi Four doesn't quite have as deep of a storyline as let's say Dynasty Warriors Eight. So if you like your stories a little bit more, go to Dynasty Warriors 8. If you are all about the gameplay, uh, Warriors Orochi uh, 4 that just came out is pretty, pretty good. Hey, Phil. Uh, Yeah. Have you played One Piece Pirate Warriors? No, no. I've seen the reviews and everything on it, but I'm not a One Piece person. Okay. And so I feel like it wouldn't, you know, with all, I have so many Musou games. Now I do have like Aslan and I got the manga. It's like, I feel like with the games like One Piece and Aslan, I feel like you really got to at least be somewhat into the to the comics. So I looked up Aslan. I'm like, oh, you can actually get most of that storyline by just buying, you know, so many of these. You go to One Piece and there's 700, 800 comics. It's, it's... Uh, interestingly enough, One Piece Warriors pretty much goes through the entirety of the uh, story in the game. Yeah, yeah the, thir- the third one starts from the beginning. So okay. you're kind of not missing anything if you don't really know the series. But does it? I mean, how do you? Is but it, how do you squeeze? Well, does it tell it comments? as well as the manga, though? Cause yeah. How do you squeeze? We some, went over how Romance Dawn did not t- tell it as well as the. Yeah, I think it does it better than that, which is not a high bar to clear. Is, <laughs> I would hope it clears that bar. Is it? Is it? Is it English? Like English yeah. uh, voices? No. Oh, I thought it was. I don't think so. I will say, like, one of the problems with... One of the problems with Aslan, uh, whatever the hell it's called, the Aslan Musou game, is that everything's in... I swear everything's in Japanese unless I'm missing an option somewhere. 
So the problem is all the text that's coming up on the bottom is they're yelling and screaming. But while I'm killing shit, I can't read the text at the bottom. I don't understand what the hell they're saying. But at least with that one, I can go read the manga and at least have a general gist of which battle I'm in in the story. So well, it, well no, it's it's fine, Phil. Just go read, you know, a few hundred volumes of One Piece. You'll be fine. Yeah, what is up with that? There is well, you know, Phil. One Piece. One Piece has just had volume eighty-eight released in English. Uh, I just read it, and really? its creator has said that as of about uh, six years ago, he was roughly at the halfway point. But that <laughs> okay. was six years ago, so we've probably got at least another thirty volumes to go. But done and he may just keep going because apparently he's having that much fun holy cow and now that i'm into it i just eagerly await each new volume because it's a blast to read uh, oh my well, god I, I, I i realize taking the plunge now seems like a major commitment but it, it is a really fun series yeah I, yeah I don't think you need to know everything either like it's the characters are fun if you get a sense of them you can kind of jump in the start of any story I mean, you're not going to get all of it, but I, I, I don't think you need, especially for like one of the One Piece Musou games. I don't think you need to know a ton about the series to enjoy them because the characters are great, and you can kind of uh, get that just from you know whatever you, whatever you can figure out from the story. See, see, what I always what I always tell people is the trick the trick to One Piece is to buddy up with somebody that knows the series well and can tell you which arcs you can skip without missing any major story beats. There you go, so Mickey can just give me the roadmap. Oh, ro- roadmap to One Piece. Yeah, the mode wrap of which ones to read and which ones to skip to get to the to get mm-hmm. to all the juicy bits the fastest, so I could actually enjoy what's going on in the Muso. That's fair. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I think you guys have talked me into it. I'm sure it'll be on Black Friday sale. Uh, I'll add it to my Black Friday watch list. Because uh, it's one of the few Muso PS4 games I don't have. I have so many of those games now. I think it's, I think it's already super cheap. Yeah. Like I, get, I think I got it for on sale for like... That might be because bucks. there's already another one. Don't these One Piece Muso games come out about every year? Yeah. No, there hasn't been one in a while. Every... I think there's three of them they, aren't there yeah i think yeah. they re-released the third one on switch but i think that's all they've been for a while yeah uh, also, interestingly enough my new kitten is named nami after one of the one piece characters and phil doesn't understand that because he doesn't know one piece yet but Mm-mm. you you introduced nami real fast she's yeah of course to be fair not knowing anything about the manga didn't stop me from getting fate extala and playing some of that so yeah uh, same here phil i should probably <laughs> just game. buy the one piece and be done with it and add it to the collection because i just i don't know like it's really funny Do like it. peer pressure Do peer it. pressure with with PS2, like my PS2 is an RPG machine. I got so many good RPGs on the PS2. Uh, PS3 felt more like the adventure adventure game machine for me. It doesn't say it doesn't have some RPGs and some Musou games. But PlayStation 4, I swear that between Yakuza and Musou games, that's like 60 to 65% of my PlayStation 4 collection. <laughs> Seriously, it's insane. Uh, and then there's some RPGs and, of course, Diablo 3. Speaking of going going to your earlier comments about, you know, Diablo on the Switch, I will say, like, a friend called me up. He's like, hey, Diablo 3, I've said this before, but Diablo 3 is on the PlayStation. It's on sale. Buy it now. And I'm like, why would I do that? I've already played it to death on the PC. And, oh, it's a totally different game. On, it's just so much better on the PlayStation. 
And so peer pressure, I bought it, it was half price. And yeah, sitting in your couch just playing it with a controller, it, it totally reinvigorates the game for me. And that dodge roll. And the dodge roll. Yeah, the dodge roll is cool. It gives it, get, yeah, definitely gives it an added flair. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I have to say that's pretty compelling, especially we got some friends. Um, but um, even, you know, going back to the Muso thing, sometimes you just want to beat a bunch of crap hustles. Sometimes I just load up Diablo 3 and work my way through a season. Uh, Phil, I'm curious what your opinion was on Fire Emblem Warriors, if, or if you played it. Yeah, liked it liked it a lot. I would say, you know, I should do a ranking of Muso games. I would say it's probably like, it's either, you know, number three, probably probably number three on my list. Uh, it's really good. Like, the Hyrule Wars is number one. Uh, Fire Emblem, I liked it because it did have that strat. That's what I love about these Muso games. Like, at the end of the day, their base combat is just go beat the crap out of a ton of things, and you got a captain here and there you got to be careful about. But it's just, you know, they're all the same button combinations. You can go to any Muso game. If you know how to play Dynasty Warriors or any of them, XX Triangle. XX Triangle gets you through anything, right? And so Fire Emblem, but but then with each of these IPs that they take over, whether it's Dragon Quest or Fire Emblem or Hyrule Warriors, they take just enough from those IPs to make it feel like a somewhat unique experience. So with Fire Emblem, of course, as you know, it's it's taking the being able to command the, the your soldiers. You get you know four or eight of them, and you can command your other heroes to go and take over different parts of the map. There's some other uh, Muso games that do that. Like in Samurai Warriors 2, you can you get a partner and you can send him to another part of the map. And there's some strategy there. The thing is, we send him to another part of the map. He doesn't do shit until you <laughs> jump into his body. Because you can switch between their bodies at any time. So we so until then, him and the enemy that he's fighting against do very little, if any, damage to each other. But And that's kind of the way it works in Hyrule Warriors as well, on the few maps that you can control multiple characters. But with fire, uh, and that's fine. You're the hero, and you're the one who's making the difference. And that's kind of one of the things about Muso games, is that there's this huge battle going on, but you're the kick-ass general that... It, 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 you make the difference wherever you're at and winning the board is more a matter of you being in the right place at the right time than your actual combat ability but with fire emblem you actually uh warriors you can actually send them someplace and as long as you're sending them against somebody that you know is the right part of the weapon, weapon triangle and mm-hmm. that enemy's weak against them they'll actually kick their ass and you have to do this with some of the more busy boards or the high difficulty boards if you don't take advantage of that mechanic uh you, okay. You're gonna have a hard time. God, that that board where you couldn't let one side get too powerful, or it'd be, mm-hmm. the other side would you would lose the map. It had me tearing my hair out until I looked up how to do it. Mm-hmm. But I I loved that they incorporated yeah. strategy in that, and I I hated that that story mode in that game was so short because I wanted more. Yeah, yeah, the, the story modes in these games tend to be uh, kind of short, and the, and that's where. Uh, one of the big uh, criteria I use for judging uh, Muso games is their after story mode uh, modes. So in Zelda, that's why I give Hyrule Warriors one of the biggest reasons I give Hyrule Warriors the biggest marks. Aside, I mean, it's so many good things about Hyrule Warriors. They have a really great roster of very unique feeling characters. I mean, Warriors Orochi has 180 characters, but Hyrule Warriors has maybe 30. But they feel so unique. But the but mm-hmm. after you get through the story mode. Uh, you have adventure mode with the maps and each battle having all these different unique conditions and modifiers as you're working through this map that looks like the, the original Legend of Zelda or Majora's, Ma- you know, the map from Majora's Mask or whatnot with its own map mechanics. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're uncovering new powerful weapons, extra characters, extra costumes, food for your fairy, clothes for your fairy, and everything else. 
uh, with with uh, Fire Emblem, they have a very good uh, after story mode thing in that you're playing these di- these uh, these battles from the previous Fire Emblem games. I wouldn't say it's quite as awesome as Hyrule Warriors, um, but but it's it's similarly set up, and it's definitely a step above, let's say, Dynasty Warrior Eight's uh, post story content, uh, which. Eh. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, like, yeah, I said, like, coming from Dynasty Warriors games, some of those games are, their post-game content is after you beat the story mode, go back and play the story mode maps again, but at a higher difficulty, or using different officers. <laughs> okay, I can do that. That that doesn't sound super exciting. But, yeah. I, I, I still do like need to Fire finish. I still need to finish Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, it's the game I can't. I that is one of the few games on the Switch that I bought digitally. Space is such a premium on that on that thing. Um, but Fire Emblem is, and like the Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate is a game that I go to, you know, time and again. That I can like, I can play. I can be playing a dungeon crawler and go. Oh, I need a little break now. Let me go beat up some Shiz and Hyrule Warriors or Monster Hunter. So yeah, and yeah, that's super. Um, and 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 High Hyrule Warriors. You can get through the story in 30 hours, give or take, and you'll unlock 80% of the characters that way. But uh-huh. that's where the real game begins, with adventure mode. Oh, Ooh. it's a black hole. It's really, if you start setting your mind to it, you're like, ooh, I really want to unlock all of Link's weapons, and I want to unlock these hidden characters, and I really want to power up my fairy. Once you start down that dark road, you don't come back. No. 200, 300 hours of your life just gone. Poof, you don't even know what happened to him. Can't get him back. Yeah, at that good. point you could replay it, and you'd be right at uh, Mr. Minky's Rainbow Skies. Time. I know. <laughs> yeah, <and> that's <laughs> that blows my mind. Like I, I, you know, watching some completionists try to take on and complete Hyrule Warriors and talk about all the time they put into it. But you're right. Somehow Mike has managed to put in more time than a Hyrule Warriors run through, a complete run through from beginning to end into that game. That's amazing. That, that's, I don't know how I did it. I just that's. That's just mind blowing. Uh, but hey, I, I finally stopped, so I was talking guys. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, that might be that might be, yeah. Wow. Uh, but anywho, I, I I'm now hitting the slow season, so I'm going to go back uh, and 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 as I mentioned on uh, the RPG backtrack sidetrack, uh, I'll be going back to something more traditional. Uh, still playing some Muso and Monster, of course, Monster Hunter all the time. Uh, Mr. Apps and I will get to G rank one day, so uh, uh, we still have to keep plugging away at those. But I, I do need to get back into some of my good old fashioned turn based games. Yay for slow season at work finally! Woo! So cool. Well, uh, that pretty much wraps up the show. We thank you all for listening. We remind you that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com. You need to head over there. There's a lot of good articles. It never ceases to amaze me. I'll talk to people. and They're like, yeah, listen to your podcast. I'm like, have you read a website? No, I don't really read a website. Uh, really, really read the website. We have a lot of great articles on there uh, from people who really love RPGs. If you love listening to podcasts, uh, check it out. And... I forget who's doing this, but one uh, I, I I follow RP Gamer Twitter. You can follow RP Gamer Twitter at RP Gamer, and that's a really cool way of just having the news articles pop up in your Twitter feed, and then you can just click on the ones you want. But uh, what's his name is now doing like a weekly recap article of what's new on the site. I found that very cool. 
I think it's Alex that's doing that. Alex. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. I did hit a favorite on it to tell him I like it. Uh, because I read his, his wrap, wrap up and that kind of brought a few articles to my attention that I didn't catch, uh, on my Twitter feed. Uh, so yeah, yeah, t- totally check it out. But we have, tr- we have tr- trailers, uh, we have announcements, we have reviews, and of course, most importantly of all, I think Mr. Apps would agree, we have an opening movie for God Eater 3. So, you know, when you get bored of Monster Hunter, there's another Monster Hunter game for you guys to play. It's coming out soon. Totally doing it. It's Monster Hunter with a story. That's that's what I tell people. God Eater, Monster Hunter with a story. Uh, anime story. Very anime. So, And I, th- I think Josh is working on trying to get some more special features going like the uh, Vita celebration that we had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. That was very fun. Yeah. And I and I will I I I should be able to get at least one sidetrack up here next week or two is now again, we're in the slow season. And so I should be able to catch up on some of my sidetrack articles myself. So Yay, articles. Woo. So go check that out over at rpgamer.com. Uh you can hit us up at you can hit me up I'm at GC Servant, Mr. Mickey's at you may sin. Uh what y'all's handles? Um Redrock nine six three. And I'm Platy M three. And Mr. Apps is Ask Wheels. By the way, if there's ever any more loud typing on the keyboard or things you don't like about the podcast, you know, things like swearing or us complaining about bad video games or anything like that, uh, you want to make sure to direct that on Twitter to Ask Wheels. That is our complaint department. So make sure (laughs) you just flood his Twitter feed with all of your hatred and anger and frustrations. We're we're saying a lot of things about Etri Mystery Dungeon. Yeah, yeah, maybe you do. Positive. We we need to send this to Mr. Field because, well, he needs content. Right. We, true. Our it's complaint. True. Our complaint department takes your complaints very seriously. Uh, so, complaints ever. It so make sure you send that to Ask Wheels. Uh, even if you just find my voice grating, because I know I do. Uh, send that to Ask Wheels. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you can follow all that at rpgamer.com. Uh, and I think that's about it. Mr. Mickey, you want to put us to bed? Well, it was not an oversight that we did not discuss Etrian Odyssey 5 on the episode. Because, sadly, when we are recording this, Etrian Odyssey 5 is just over a year old in its North American rendition. And that, unfortunately, means that we cannot talk about all of its fascinating story twists and the amazing plot beats. And it's just not old enough yet. But one day it will be. And when that day comes, the backtrack will probably be there. One day. Good night. Good night.